Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the British Wrestling Experience on postwrestling.com. I'm your host Martin Bushby and joining me as always are Benno and Jamesy. And uh, guys, it feels like it's been a while. I know it's only been a couple of weeks since we last recorded, but uh, yeah, it just feels like uh, it's been a while since we last recorded. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I had another birthday pushing ever closer to 40. I'm sure you guys uh, <laughs> uh, uh, know we're, we're right there with front. you. <laughs> I've no, still yeah, got five just, to go. You are sorry, Benno. Still got five years to go. Not to rub it in, mate. I'm all right. I'm halfway there. Not quite yet, though. Oh, it's, it's two years for me. My brother's forty this year, so it's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's getting ever closer for me. I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm right there with you, Martin. I've only two, two, two months, two years to go as well. So we're we, we, we'll get there together. We'll get there I, together. I've been training it's like some new kids in work. And one of them's 23, which is the age I was when I started there, which is really depressing. And the other is 19. And like just to see a 19 year old's worldview compared to like the crusty old ones that are in my work, ah. it's quite interesting. Like, yeah, just imagining that there's a grown up born in the 2000s is tough enough for me to get my, uh, my head around. Uh, but I, yeah, I remember turning 20 thinking I was getting old, turning 30 thinking, ah, it's all over now. And that once you're in your thirties, like okay, I'm dreading forty, but I reckon Martin, once we're there, we'll be all right. We'll be we're just looking forward to fifty at that point, <laughs> and then we die, so everything's good. It's fine. You know, it all ends well. Fifty's yeah, the new forty, isn't it? That's so people go. who are fifty tell me anyway. Yeah, I always have that at work as well. I, you know, all the young people, and, and it's so funny. You just that it just creeps up on you that you're that age where. You, mm. You're referencing things and people going, what's yes. that? And you're like, you've never heard of that, you know? And, and you're just like, God, am I really that age now that I'm like, <laughs> questioning people that don't know things from 1993? Oh, God. Yeah. You reference, like, PJ Duncan and things like that. And they're just, like, <laughs> looking at you blank. Or it happened when they were one. Like, my, my main, like, guide for age and stuff is, like, wrestling. So, like, if somebody tells me they were born in, say, 2003 or 2002, I'm like, shit, that was after the invasion when Raw got crap. Like everything, I can kind of, I can distinctly remember that. Like my, my girlfriend was born in 1993, and I'm like, I can remember 1993. I was only about, <laughs> I was like, the eight or nine at the time, but I can distinctly remember that that period. I can remember being a big WWF fan in those years. That's probably the height of my fandom. I do feel like, yeah, uh, maybe my age is a thing because I was one at WrestleMania one, and I'm going to be 36 this year with WrestleMania 36. I kind of chart my age as the years go with WrestleManias and just with, with wrestling references. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one who does that. No, no, I know <laughs> what you mean, but I kind of forget what number they're on WrestleMania now because they kind of don't put the numbers with them anymore. It's just WrestleMania with some kind of icon next to it, isn't it? So, yeah, <laughs> yeah like, WrestleMania what playbook. number we're on now, yeah. <laughs> WrestleMania star sign, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> one of those Vinceisms, isn't it? Not quite the uh, the Super Bowl. No, exactly. But, um, I mean, as we noted on the last show, we're, we're going to be playing around a bit with the formula this year and having one show a month dedicated to everything that's happened in Euro Wrestling over the course of a month. Um, with our other show being more focused on a guest or a, a deep dive into a show or something com- completely different. So, I mean, we've got absolutely tons and stun- tons of stuff to get into uh, for January. So I thought we'd start off with... Um, Seems to be tons and tons of uh, WWE, NXT, NXT UK news um, because there was certainly a lot of European representation in WWE this month. Um, not just stuck in your usual NXT UK Wednesday night loop. Where we had a bunch of Euro guys over Royal Rumble weekend. Um, obviously, first up was Worlds Collide on the 25th of January in Houston, Texas. Um, 
I mean, this event um, usually takes place in a corner at Access, but this year the event was at the Toyota Center with around 4,000 fans in attendance. I, thought, I think that was the number I read. Uh, I mean, we're not going to run down the full card, but I've got to say I, I quite enjoyed it. I mean, from your everything in the Kitchen Sink Fight Club Pro four-way match with Jordan Devlin, <laughs> Angel Garza, Isaiah Scott, and Travis Banks, uh, which were a big surprise for me, so Devlin pick up the Cruiserweight Championship and... Then we had the DIY v Mustache Mountain, and then the main event of Imperium against Undisputed here. I thought some enjoyable matches here, and well worth the the effort of of watching it compared to previous years when we've had to talk about um, these Worlds Collide shows. I mean, we'll we'll jump in first with the Devlin title win, so it was completely unexpected for me, here, Jamesy. Oh yeah, yeah, like it's um, it's. <laughs> It was kind of a low-key thing, I suppose, in terms of the run-up to it. Um, he had won a qualifier, I think, on NXT UK the week before against El Ligero. And um, I don't know. I, I don't think many people would have expected him to win it going into the match. Um, I think, to be perfectly honest, I, I would have struggled to name who the Cruiserweight champion was in the run-up to the show, yeah. like I, I would, I, I actually would have thought it was still Leo Rush, but apparently mm. he, he he lost it a few weeks beforehand, um, and like it's 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 one of those things, you know what I mean? Um, I find it very hard to be super excited about it. I suppose you know, like, and I'm an Irish wrestling fan. I, I probably should be the one of the three beaming with pride about it and and lauding him for such a great achievement. Like, but I I just find it hard to be excited about him winning this title that, that that to me just seems very very worthless like it's the it's the third title on the NXT brand now like the North American title and the NXT title would probably be ahead of us um it means that he's pigeonholed as a cruiserweight which which isn't the greatest thing for your long-term prospects in WWE, I think it's it, it, it like being pigeonholed in that division means to get anywhere you nearly have to graduate out of that division at some point. Um, like there are lots of cruiserweights running around WWE who aren't in that division, like the likes of Ricochet, the likes of Adam Cole is probably a cruiserweight. I'd say Finn Balor probably isn't far off being a cruiserweight. You don't necessarily have to be put in that division. Um, so like you know, I find it hard to be majorly excited about it. Um, on the upside for Devlin, it's probably his route into being on American TV more often, which is a promotion from the NXT UK brand, if anything. Um, but like, it remains to be seen how long term this is. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I will hold kind of judgment on the whole thing till we see where Jordan is in six months' time. If in six months' time Jordan is a regular on NXT TV proper, I'd say fair play. You know that 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 was a springboard to him having better success and kind of succeeding as a, as a WWE superstar, which I see being an NXT UK superstar not being at the moment. Um, but yeah, I would say underwhelmed. You know what I mean? And there's nobody over here in Ireland kind of lining the streets and expecting him to go through the city centre and then open to open top bus with this new cruiserweight title held aloft above his head or anything like that. Um, so yeah, as I said. A little bit of a promotion for him, I suppose, but we'll reserve judgment, I think, until we see exactly where it goes. Like, like for all we know, he could drop it again on 205 Live on Friday. You know what I mean? We, we just don't know what's going to happen yet. Mm. Yeah, that, that's the thing. I think I'm in the same boat as Jamesy. It's a waiting game for me. Like, what are they going to do with him? Like, there's no, in principle, the idea of Jordan Devlin being on NXT TV, proper NXT, you know, like the Grizzly Young Vets look like they, they might be going forward, you know, like the more, I don't know, it's the, it's the, 
it's it's a proper WWE run at that point. I know it's still only NXT and not WWE proper, but I do in my own brain kind of see it as a more prestigious thing. They're going to be be on you know weekly cable TV in the US, showing the world how good he is. So I get the levels of excitement from that point of view. I think maybe it's just those dirty words, 205 Live, that kind of muddy the water for me. Yeah. Like, you know, we were having a conversation before the show about whether it still existed or not. I just actually just Googled the word 205 Live on Google, and the top four questions are, is 205 Live still live? Is 205 Live, <laughs> is 205 live cancelled? Why is it called 205 Live? And who is the 205 Live champion? They're the four suggestions from Google. That's all you all need to know about that TV show. And I think, yeah, the, you know, the the infamous uh, Enzo Amore segment always kind of runs through our brain, doesn't it, Martin? When we think of uh, we think of 205 Live, I was there live for that. And it was a it was an experience uh, seeing the great and good of uh, of NXT UK showing up in in the way they were in that segment. And it just it does feel like a dirty word for me. And I was one of those people like Jamesy on Twitter watching watching the show live, seeing people explode and seeing people I didn't expect, you know, jumping up for joy that, that, that Jordan had got this belt and seeing it as a moment of validation when he got his mark pick with Triple H. And yeah, I, I, maybe I get it if it's a route to, to good things in WWE for Devlin, if it's a route to NXT proper and he's not buried away on NXT UK. But I don't know, maybe it's the bitter jaded indie fan in me who can't help but just look at it and think, what if? What imagine? I, I just, I think for me, I just imagine better things for someone as good as Jordan Devlin. Yeah, because I mean, obviously, nothing's black and white, is it? And we'd all like to see Devlin on a different path, but he's, you know, the fact is that he's a contracted WWE star, so it's, yeah. it's either this or spinning his wheels in York or Hull for the rest of the year. And you know, it's, yeah. not, a, it's not a prominent title, is he? But maybe, like you said, Benno, like stepping stone. You know, it'd be a lot better to see him on proper NXT every week, having killer matches, you know, with a bit of time spent on them. I mean, as we record, this is making an appearance on NXT tonight. So it's like, you know, Jamesy, time is really going to tell whether he is going to make an impact there. So it will be interesting to see what they do with Devlin uh, um, from this point forward. Um, But I just wanted to talk a bit about the tag match as well, because I I thought that was quite fun. Crowd really got into that compared with some of the other matches. I mean, we've not mentioned it yet, but... You know, your likes of Ilya Dragunov on this show weren't getting the best reception from the crowd. And you can't blame them. Just if they're not watching NXT UK, they're not really going to know a great deal about um, guys like Ilya Dragunov. But um, Trent and Tyler have uh, got good chemistry, I thought, with uh, Gargano and Champery Jamesy. Yeah, I, I see that to a certain extent. Um, I, mean, I think my, my overriding feeling about the whole show was that... <laughs> It just felt like nothing mattered on it to some extent. Like the, the, there had been no build to this show. Like they, they, they did the the run in, I suppose, on the main event after the main event of, of the NXT UK takeover, which built up the the Imperium against Undisputed Era match a little bit. It felt like everything else on this show had no heat behind it. You know what I mean? It felt like a kind of like a PWG show almost, where there were matches that looked really good on paper, but when you actually get into the meat of the match, there isn't an awful lot of heat behind them. Like, I, I wasn't fond of the kind of the tongue-in-cheek stuff that they were doing at the start of this. Um, it just felt a little bit too much like an exhibition match to me. And, like, I, on one level, I could recognise that that the work in it was good, and, like, there were some great exchanges on the mass uh, between, I think it was Tyler and Gargano in particular at one point. But it, it just... There was just something hollow about the whole show, really, uh, apart from the main event, I would say. Um, and it just, 
I found it hard to get into it. You know, as I said, a match that I could recognise was was good and they were doing good stuff and it was athletically impressive and all that. But there was nothing for me to sink my teeth into, you know what I mean? And it's, um, it, it's you know, it, it's a couple of weeks since that show now and I'm kind of thinking back to these matches now and not a lot of it sticks in my head because, as I said, there was just that feeling that does this really matter? There's no stakes here. You know what I mean? They were trying to build up this big thing before the show, like they were Winston Churchill speeches about, oh, you know, yeah. Uh, all this and you're thinking God like how inappropriate is that when, when when you're kind of putting that onto a show where there is no stakes like you know what I mean and maybe there will be a time and a place for that promo if there had been a really well built storyline or a genuine rivalry between the brands but it, it felt to me like your typical manufactured inter-brand warfare you know, you know the way every year they do that Survivor Series Team Raw against Team Smackdown and it's kind of like well what reason do those two television programs have to hate each other you know what I mean and what reason do NXT and NXT UK have to really hate each other you know what I mean apart from the fact that we're putting on some cool matches that look good on paper that people haven't seen before yeah for me it was like a, it was an eye-opener in a lot of ways to what NXT UK is to people outside of maybe even our mm-hmm. bubble where it does seem to be overwhelming negativity within our bubble but at least people know what it is and I, I did feel like yeah that the live crowd there especially kind of gave the game away that these people like like Ilya Dragunov who had a great showing and like you know Basically, everybody aside from, you know, your mustache mountains of the world didn't really come across as, as stars and they didn't come across as people. The crowd, like the, the absolute death of silence when Ilya came out will like oh, stick with gosh. me forever. It was just, it was really awkward, wasn't it? And, you know, things did get better as the night went on. They reacted to, didn't really, Travis Banks didn't get much of a reaction, but as we said, Devlin got a big reaction uh, when he did win the belts. And, you know, mustache mountain always come across as stars. And, you know, their match with DIY, it was, you know, pegged as a, a dream match. It's not in my dreams. I'm not really a DIY guy. Um, the kind of the uh, the faux drama that they they let kind of ended the match with, and the you know the big standoff in the ring and the big move exchange kind of loses me. Um, and it doesn't strike me as the type of thing that you'd be massively into either, Jamesy. Um, but I did see a lot of you know a lot of praise for that match, and that was kind of it. That was most of the talk I had coming out of the show, and there wasn't a huge amount of it. it was about that match. And it was about the main event, like James, he said, where, you know, you had some genuine stars in there and a, and a Walter, even if he's not as over as, uh, as you know, the other speed of the era guys is still someone who carries a star presence. That was where it worked for me. That was where maybe, I, you know, the blue shirt, red shirt, SmackDown versus Raw thing. I kind of forgot about that and just enjoyed two big stables going against each other. But yeah, the, you know, these kind of bra- battles for brand supremacy are uh, very much in the WWE playbook. And I could see what they were kind of trying to do, but yeah, it didn't really hugely work with me uh, until that main event. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel quite a bit differently. I get what you're saying, Jamesy, about there being no stakes and stuff, but I, I feel like as a, a one-off match in a vacuum, I did really enjoy mm. the, uh, the, the tag match. Um, I mean, I'm, I've certainly seen plenty of them over the years, sort of like matches that are just on their own with no story. I mean, I've seen plenty of them at Red Pro over the years. Um, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, did, I really enjoyed that. I mean, before we get into the main event, um, we had the small matter of Tony Storm and Ray Ripley. And it, it, Tony Storm, Benno, is someone who we feel like is, you know, we've been wanting to come good for, you know, a few years now. And, and especially against someone like Rhea Ripley, who seems to have completely bypassed her at this point. Yeah, she's just, you know, uh, we've talked about it on this show before. I think I saw Jamesy tweet it during the show that, you know, here comes Tony Storm for the three-star Tony Storm special. Uh, that's kind of what you get, isn't it? She's 
got all the potential in the world and all the star presence. Like I was at the uh, TNT show in Liverpool on Thursday and just being in the crowd, you know, kind of wandering around. She was there and she does come across as a big star. Saw her in, a, in the big, the crazy house club in Liverpool in the nighttime as well. Get loads of photos with fans. Just fresh off a Royal Rumble appearance. She has got something of a, she does come across as a star in person and on TV, but just something doesn't seem to entirely click. And I keep waiting for it to happen. And I keep waiting for better matches than, than you kind of get from Tony Storm. And she just, she doesn't have bad matches by any means. She just has okay, forgettable matches that I think in some ways are forgivable matches as well for people who are who are high on her and kind of see, you know, some of what I see there with, you know, the again, the star potential and they're just, there being something that you could do with Tony Storm that pretty much every booker has seen when they've uh, they've gone to booker and every booker right up and up to probably Vince McMahon if he ends up, if she ever ends up on, on WWE Raw, which actually might be the best slot for her or maybe not so much is expected of her. But yeah, she just kind of gets goes out there and she has these just okay matches that don't really deliver on the the promise that she has and yeah Rhea Ripley is like someone who you know talks star potential she's got it herself as well but I think she's delivering the goods as well and you know not I wouldn't say her matches are in any way forgettable I think everything she's done in in WWE from impressing on NXT UK and standing out to getting onto proper NXT and representing that side she's kind of put Tony Sean to shame a little bit with her with just how well she's done, how well she's got over, and the fact that she is a, a real notable name at her in NXT at this point. And uh, jumping to the main event, obviously it was a huge same, shame to see uh, Wolf uh, seemingly get injured or knocked for six, but uh, I thought the guys did well keeping it together. I thought, uh, obviously, compared to his Survivor Series um, non-performance, thought Walter looked good in this one, Jamesy. Yeah, and, you know, d- despite the Survivor Series thing, um, Walter is definitely seen as a star by US crowd. Like even that night at Survivor Series, he was getting all the when when those three teams were in the ring, and that included well-known main roster guys. He was getting big chance for, for, from a mainstream, you know, a, a main roster kind of a WWE crowd. They knew who he was. They felt like he was a big star. They were glad to see him. And the same thing here, you know, like he was getting the chance. Like, and there's a, there's always a danger when you have NXT UK guys in the ring with with a massively over kind of a, a team like like Undisputed Era, you know, and act like that, that, that are really beloved by that NXT UK fan base. And, and, you know, whatever about the other three guys in Imperium, it felt like Walter was their equal in terms of star power. And yeah, like in my mind, I enjoyed this match more because it had that little bit of heat behind it. I think the injury to Wolf almost in a way helped the match because it kind of, it almost kind of, it... it put a kind of a difference between the two teams where you suddenly had a storyline where Imperium maybe you wouldn't expect them to work from underneath if it was four on four suddenly because it was down to three on four you felt like they were kind of working from underneath and it fit in with the storyline where they they kind of they eliminated Wolf and then they eliminated Walter by putting him through the table and then Walter had the big comeback and it just kind of fitted better that there were just three of them I thought you know so everybody handled it well obviously people had to take over spots that Wolf would have done and that kind of thing but to my kind of untrained eye looking at it you wouldn't have known that there was a kind of a, an unforeseen accident that happened in the match um, it made me want to see Walter wrestle a lot of those undisputed era guys in singles matches like the interactions between himself and Roderick Strong like Roderick Strong is somebody 
going back to the ROH days there, Benno, like, you know, he's, he's, mm. he's, he's, he's 15 plus years on the go now, like uh, just an absolute machine of a wrestler, like, you know, the rock solid chemistry with everyone he wrestles, put him in any situation, face or heel, tag team, he always excels, like, and I was watching him having those chop exchanges with Walter thinking like that would be a lovely match to see, a singles match to see at some point. And the same when it was Kyle O'Reilly and Walter and that kind of thing, like to see those guys square off would be amazing, you know. And the one little thing I suppose that, that that had me down on the match was what next? Like, so you, you, you've done this match, the logical thing to do next, you know, Imperium kind of got the win over undisputed area. If you were to logically book this thing, the next thing you would do is, well, now maybe the two leaders should have a singles match, you know what I mean? But, um, whether we'll ever see a Walter against Adam Cole match, whether they kind of see NXT UK as important enough that they would do that match. I don't know. Um, but again, it's a match I'd like to see. Yeah, it certainly seems a lot more exciting prospects having these NXT UK guys in NXT proper, doesn't it, Benno? Yeah, and I think, you know, Walter has benefited from it too, from, you know, his brief appearances on TV, you know, from the Kashida match uh, on, and from, unfortunately, some of his unfortunate main roster appearances as well. I think that there is a difference there in that people kind of, they know the name a little bit, and I think once you combine that with just how much of a, a star he comes across as, uh, and how big he comes across as, I think it just, it works, and it works in the story. It makes him, it, it kind of makes up for the fact that, yeah, you know, people might not know the the rest of the Imperium team, you know, they, they might just see them as interchangeable uh, Austrian slash German guys, and they might not see them on the same star level as, you know, in a, an undisputed era. But I think, yeah, having Walter in there and having someone who, who's kind of made his name and comes across as a star makes a big difference. And yeah, that's got to be, you know, the aim. You know, I think Walter's benefited from being a, a big fish in a small pond in NXT UK. You know, we can criticize elements of the way Walter's used, especially, you know, the main roster, the one main roster element we've got kind of to uh, to point to. And we can criticize the way maybe he's come across as maybe a bit of a, a bit cowardly and needed the stable to help him. And he's kind of fell into some WWE tropes. But at the end of the day, he's still, for the most part, Walter, he's still, for the most part, been protected. And I think, yeah, he's un, untarnished by maybe some of the uh, the stank of NXT UK. And I, I did think, yeah, particularly in this match as well, I came across both in that and in it, and in his performance. It felt like maybe, as James has said, when the match fell apart a little bit and they had to put things back together, I felt like Walter was one of the people who, who kind of took charge there. Uh, and to almost took control of his old destiny and in a lot of ways came across as the the Walter we all know and love from the Indies, the dominant Walter and none of this uh, heel shtick that maybe we've seen a little bit too much of in uh, in WWE. And uh, we can't sort of like talk about the Royal Rumble weekend without talking Drew Galloway winning the Rumble. I mean, for me, one of the better Rumble matches we've had in years. Uh, obviously, Lesnar dominating proceedings, but then WWE seemingly fully behind the former ICW star, Drew Galloway. I mean, is it too little, too late, but the, the crowd seemed to take to him, especially after he eliminated Lesnar. I mean, personally, I've never been that big of a fan of Drew. I think he's obviously got a, a star presence about him, especially when he was a ICW champion in that big main event he had with Grado, but that, he's never really done it for me. I don't know what it is. Obviously, he's got everything that it, you know, seemingly would take to be a, you know, a, a big name in, in WWE, and it seems to finally get him behind him here, Jamesy. Yeah, and like here's the thing with Drew Galloway, and it's kind of, it's kind of a, a very prescient point at the moment, I think as well. He came into WWE too early, and he wasn't ready for the spot that they put him in. He basically signed the contract at a very young age. They pushed him, and it didn't work. 
and he had to go away and he had to go to the Indies and he had to kind of, you know, regather himself. He had to kind of work on his actual wrestling. He had to work on his promos. He went to the Indies. He became seasoned. You know, we, we talk about this. We're probably going to have a conversation soon about people getting signed who aren't seasoned. He went to the Indies. He, he kind of, he, he found himself. He came back a much better, more confident wrestler. It's taken a little bit of time, but eventually he made it to the position that he was kind of pushed for initially. You know what I mean? And maybe there's a lesson there for some of these people who are signing contracts at a very young age. As I said, we'll probably talk about them in a minute. You know, um, there is a lot to be said about going out and becoming seasoned and improving as a wrestler and then going on to TV and then becoming the kind of big star that people think he can be you know what I mean so maybe there's a lesson for a few people in that alone you know what I mean and um, in, in fairness it's a major achievement you know we can kind of you know talk down the achievement of Jordan Devlin winning the Cruiserweight title and talk down the fact that these NXT UK guys got to wrestle in America for one night and that kind of thing like it's a genuinely major achievement I, I, like it, it will be the first ever British wrestler I believe to main event Wrestlemania mm-hmm. um, and that's not nothing you know what I mean and that's a major achievement and it's like he, he has persevered like it's 11 years since he went to WWE that's a long long time to kind of be plugging wow. away and that kind of thing um, whether it will ever translate into him becoming a main event star whether they'll put him over Brock Lesnar or whoever he wrestles I don't know if it's going to be I don't even know who they set up yet or whatever but um, I don't know if he'll win but you know in and of itself that is a major achievement you know what I mean and we talk about a lot of British wrestlers signing up to WWE but they're not really in WWE and NXT UK here's a guy who's a genuine main main eventer in WWE now and like that does deserve to be applauded in its own right I think yeah, perfect he's example some... there from James. <laughs> he hit the nail firmly on the head didn't they about getting a bit more uh, you know experience on doing fully signed there Benno yeah, and he, and he kind of drew, drove his own buzz as well, didn't he? He kind of came out, and we were raving about him, you know, his promos he was doing on ICW, in yeah. what culture. He went out there as, a, as an absolute broken toy, evolved, yeah, into like a in-evolved, sorry, evolved, in-evolved, into like this this proper, you know, promo with authenticity and all of the nonsense three-man band stuff kind of got left behind, and it made it to the point where he was pretty much undeniable to WWE. And that, you know, that is a lesson to, to any wrestler who finds themselves in, in that same position. And yeah, being honest, he's not always been for me. I've enjoyed, you know, bits of his promo work, especially when he was on the indies. I'm not somebody who watches Raw every week. I'm told by the people who do that they have tried to build a bit of momentum up for him. His, what is it, 3 2 one catchphrase thing that he's doing is, is starting to, to get over in, in some ways as well. Uh, yeah, he's kind of, he's not one for me, but I suppose if they're going to try with anyone new, one, you know, he can go in the ring. He's not a stiff. He he's not a Baron Corbin. He can actually go, and it's worthwhile. <laughs> it's a worthwhile endeavor, I suppose, from WWE. Even if you know it is a little bit, you know, Vince going back to what he loves, tall guy with muscles, and going back to a guy that you know was his chosen one years ago, as we've uh, we've all said. So while there are a couple of uh, warning signs there, again, yeah, we shouldn't. Uh, I don't know, underestimate how big a thing it is for a, for a British guy to, to win a Rumble. I'm sure we all dreamed of it when we were kids, uh, and it's kind of cool to, to see that he's got to do it. I just uh, I wonder, yeah, what's next for him, and if they do stick the landing and stick with him, which they, they didn't the last time they went with this uh, big push with him all those years ago. Yeah, I've got to imagine, like, he, if he doesn't beat Lesnar at Mania, then that's, you know, we might as well just mm-hmm. write him off now sort of thing, because it's all leading to that, isn't it? So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they do pull the trigger on him, like, 
at WrestleMania. But, um, I mean, moving back to NXT now, and obviously the Dusty Rhodes Tag Classic, the fifth annual one, uh, tons of your representation over this tournament. Um, obviously, the most prominent being Zach Gibson and James Drake taking on the Broserweights team of Pete Dunne and Matt Riddle uh, in the final uh, Riddle, Riddle and Dunn picking up the win there uh, this past week in a, in a pretty decent match uh, going on to NXT TakeOver Portland's face, Undisputed here. Uh, Got to say, I've been enjoying Riddle and Dunn as a team, especially the promo work by Riddle. I mean, Dunn's never the best on the mic, is he? But it's been <laughs> fun seeing his reactions to uh, the many comments Riddle's been making. Um, and I also think this is a good spot for Dunn here. I mean, he's done all he can do on NXT UK, and I think this role is perfect for him here, Jamesy. Yeah, and it's 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 like I assume that the end point of it is that they'll split up and one of them will turn on the other and away you'll go and that'll be another big feud for NXT and that kind of thing, you know. And sometimes when they put teams together like that in order to split them up down the line, the bit in between can be kind of underwhelming because you feel like the two guys are kind of spinning their wheels a little bit and almost waiting for the feud to happen. Whereas I do feel like like these, they probably know each other very well. You know what I mean? That they would have been on loads and loads of shows over the last few years in the UK and across Europe and that kind of thing. Um, there is a nice contrast between them. Like you have Riddle. Riddle is just so charismatic and so laid back. And then you have Dunn kind of, is kind of he's the straight man almost. You know what I mean? And it's kind of, I am enjoying Pete Dunne in this tag team more than I kind of have enjoyed him maybe over the last year or two in NXT UK. Um, I kind of, like, I, I really enjoyed the promo they did on the World's Collide pay-per-view where, where Riddle was being Riddle and Dunne was just being the straight man and that kind of thing. And I, I kind of heard a few people saying that it exposed Dunne's promo ability and that kind of thing. But, but in a way, it was almost Dunne kind of accepting that he's not a good promo and accepting that Riddle would be the guy to be the charismatic one and him kind of playing to his strengths and kind of being silent and sullen and that kind of thing. And it, to me, it kind of showed that at least he realizes that he's not a good promo. And I'd mm -hmm. rather him be doing that than cutting a kind of a four or five minute promo where, where I've never found him convincing as a talker. You know what I mean? And the matches have been good. I, I think that their three matches throughout the tournament have been pretty good. They kind of have worked on some good double teams and that kind of thing. Like, so yeah, a nice lot for Pete. And um, I, I would be interested in the eventual match between the two of them because it's a match that's that, that like, God, I think it's the most cancelled match on the UK Indies. Like, wasn't it two or three times? Yes. Yeah, OTT had it at one point and then like the, the, the UK thing happened straight right before it and they weren't allowed to do it because Riddle was an independent guy and they had all those rules at the time did mm. Fight Club Pro try to do it at another point it, it seems like it was a match that loads of people tried to do and, and kind of the, the fates conspired against them in one way or another like so maybe we'll finally get a good I think actually they did a match in Fight Club Pro maybe and it wasn't that yeah, brilliant it so wasn't, it wasn't it was just for the house wasn't it I think that was the one oh, that oh, is, yeah. yeah right 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 yeah 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 but um, hopefully they'll get it right maybe on NXT and then we'll finally get to see a good match between the two of them anyway you know yeah, one day. Hopefully, hopefully that the stars will align and we get it. Because it, I can't imagine a more like Brit Res 2017 match that never was <laughs> than those two. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been loving it too, genuinely. Like I tuned in just because I'd heard about the, them as a team and wanted to see what was going on with the Dusty Classic. And when they had that match with uh, with Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster, like one, can't remember the last time I saw Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster look that good. And two, mm. I was just blown away by yeah the the chemistry that Dunn and Riddle had. It, on paper, I might not have put the two of them together, but it does work, like you say, James, with 
you know, some of Dunn's um, shortcomings kind of, uh, they, they might be exposed a little bit in this pairing, but they're, but they're kind of hidden mostly by Riddle's charisma. And it does work as like the, the double act with, with Dunn as the straight man. And yeah, as a tag team, it works as well. I think, yeah, Dunn kind of walks that line between babyface and heel and does feel like the one that would be the more likely of the, uh, the two to turn on the other. But yeah, they're making for a really entertaining double act, and they're putting incredible tag matches together as well. So yeah, I do think if they did have plans on on putting them against each other, hopefully it's coming you know later down the line rather than sooner, because I do think there's a there's plenty of juice in a in a team with those two. Yeah, it was um, Fight Club Pro. Uh, Pete Dunne beat Matt Riddle. Uh, that uh, a tribute to Francois Trebek. Oh yeah, we, we ever knew, we ever found out who France was. <laughs> who that was? was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Um, I was going to say as well, though, you know, like the final, we shouldn't let it lost. I thought the Grizzle Young Veterans have done a good job on yeah. it on NXT TV. Yeah. Like, talk about a wrestler, Gibson, whose act you wouldn't think would translate to anywhere outside of regional heat in the UK and Ireland. It is working, you know. He yeah. might be, you know, putting on a slightly posher Scouse accent. He might be, you know, maybe toted the, the pro rows down just a little bit, but it's working. And as a team of like two people who came in, and I think a lot of the US and international fans were kind of like, who are these two? I thought, especially in the final, they kind of showed who they are and how good a team they are. And, you know, James Drake gets pelters, a lot of them from podcasts like this one, uh, and probably us in the past at, at, at points. And he is kind of the other guy in this team and you do spend most of your time talking about Gibson but they've got a real chemistry in some of their double mm. teams like that that doomsday on the outside and just kind of how quickly they can change gears in a match and and switch things up they really do have something there I think they've impressed even you know a lot of the people just wondering who are these two fellas I think they've walked out of of this tournament with the head tail tires you know benefiting from the exposure like we said earlier some of these uh, UK guys could do it yeah because I mean Gibson um He's been getting a fair amount of promo time on WWE TV, and then he announced that uh, the most recent Fight Club Pro he's done with indie booking. So, um, I mean, whether that ends up being true or not, I mean, how many goodbyes to the indies have we seen? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, surely he must have been told that he's, he's going to be featured more on sort of like things like proper NXT and stuff, Benno. Yeah, that's the indication I kind of get. Again, I mentioned the TNT show earlier that I was at on Thursday, and he was supposed to be on that show. And it got cancelled because they were doing the Dusty Classic final on Wednesday. And yeah, you know, while we will uh, we'll moan when uh, guys get pulled for NXT UK or silly reasons, that's a fair enough reason by me. But it did kind of set some yeah warning signs, and I was kind of wondering what was going on. And yeah, that's that's. I think for me, it feels like that must be the case. Like they must have impressed to the point that they're going to be taken over to the US. Maybe not permanently, but a lot more to the point where maybe between NXT UK and NXT proper, there isn't the time for the and the, probably I would imagine continuing to run their wrestling school. They're probably not going to have a huge amount of time for other stuff. So yeah, I would say that they've been a a real success. The story of this tournament and one of the uh, the NXT UK success stories we can probably point to uh, in a year's time if they are regulars on NXT proper. So we're back on to home shows, and obviously James has hinted at it earlier, but there was a recent round of new signings for NXT UK, uh, the first being uh, Valkyrie from OTT, now going as uh, Aoife Valkyrie. Uh, she's primed to make her debut soon. They've had a, a few videos for her. And um, then last week it was announced that Candy Floss, Danny Luna, the tag team are pretty deadly, Sam Stoker and Louis Howley, and Levi Muir have also signed. And 
On top of that, we also had the bombshell as a Euro wrestling favourite, Timothy Thatcher, who seemingly has bypassed NXT UK and signed in some capacity with NXT proper. I mean, before we get into Thatcher, I uh, just want to talk about Valkyrie first, because um, she's someone who had an excellent run in OTT last year as part of the Woke Queens. Uh, really improved in ring, and her reactions to Katie Harvey's return were excellent, I thought, Jamesy. Oh yeah, she's 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 a young wrestler who who is improving rapidly. Um, she had a, a stint with WXW during the year, and the difference between her before and after that was was phenomenal. Like it, it did her the world of good to be wrestling, doing a tour in Germany and wrestling kind of two or three nights a week, working away in the in in the academy all the time and improving. Uh, but the point about that is that is what she should be doing. She should be out working in the UK and Ireland every weekend, having matches. Um, and I don't think she or any of those other people you mentioned have any business signing contracts at the moment. Like it's, it, 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 you know, we've complained about the Flash Morgan Websters and guys like that getting contracts and that they have no business being WWE wrestlers. Like to me, this is just another level again. Like we're at the point now, like there was people signed a couple of weeks ago there in that list that you named, Martin, people that I've barely seen wrestle. Like, we're barely getting the chance to see some of these people wrestle and they're already contracted to, to WWE. Like, and, and, like, we talked about the Drew Galloway example there, like, where going to the Indies was the best thing for him and he became a seasoned wrestler and then he was suitable for main roster WWE. You know what I mean? And I just can't understand why you would sign your career away like this at such a, like there's people there 19 years of age signing their careers away. Um, like I, I, as far as I know, Valkyrie has signed a long-term contract with them, a multi-year contract. She's what, 2021? Um, I just don't see the benefit, you know, whatever about somebody in their late twenties, early thirties, who, who's done their time on the Indies. I get that to some extent, somebody that age, the only priority they should have for their careers is having matches and working and improving and learning their trade. You know what I mean? And I just, it's just bizarre to me that, that they're hoovering up people like this and that, and that WWE themselves don't see that this is damaging to those people. You know what I mean? Because like, yeah, it's just, and the other thing as well with the female wrestlers, um, to the best of my knowledge, if you if you sign a WWE contract, you're barred from doing intergender wrestling matches on the indies anymore. And like, say what you like about intergender wrestling, it is a really good way for a young female wrestler to improve. And especially somebody like Valkyrie, like in Valkyrie's training school, Fight Factory, there's only her and Debbie Keitel as female wrestlers. And like, there's only so many times on those shows you can do that match. And like in the last year they had done on the Fight Factory shows, shows they had done a really good job of building her up as the Irish junior heavyweight champion. And it was all built around her wrestling, the likes of LJ Cleary, uh, the more than hype guys, um, all the other males that are in the company. You know what I mean? And that was only doing her good. You know what I mean? If you look at someone like Tegan Knox, like she made her name by wrestling the Chris Brookses and the, the Pete Dunns and that of this world. You know what I mean? And where would she be if she hadn't spent a few years doing intergender wrestling? Candice LeRae in America is another one. Made, made her name wrestling men. You know what I mean? And, and and like all these female wrestlers can't even do that anymore. You know what I mean? So this is the point where, where I really think it's getting ridiculous. And this is the point where it's it's like you're really just taking everybody you possibly can from the scene when you have people with, with less than a year's wrestling experience already been signed. Like, I, I just don't understand it. Yeah, you've certainly made um, the good point, especially with Drew Galloway, about, you know, seasoning for a wrestler. And certainly um, from our viewpoint as fans, you know, we do want to see these people grow and then you know, become 
good naturally over time rather than being sort of like shoved into WWE. But it's like you've noted there, it is a lot of very young wrestlers. And um, as much as they haven't made much of a statement on the UK, I think Candy Floss appeared a number of times for Progress and with Riptide, Danny Lewis. Riptide, yeah. Yeah, shown promise in the few matches I've seen her. Pretty deadly and barely gotten started before getting strapped up. Yeah. I mean, you can... Blame you, I, for me, you can't blame these guys standing at all. Obviously, they're young, and when they originally started wrestling, probably thought it'd be a weekend gig rather than a full time job. So, obviously, before anyone jumps on us, there's no ill will for them signing at all. I dare say, in your time at GPW, Benno, you would have been tempted if Robbie Brookside turned up with a contract. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's another case of signing people like you noted there, James, before they've had a chance to become seasoned performers working around the UK scene and also stockpiling talent and further taking away folks from the British Indies. I mean, you can call us gatekeepers or whatever, but it, it's getting mm-hmm. to the point where, you know, are we barely going to have anything to talk about on these podcasts because everything's been signed <laughs> away. Yeah, I think it's 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 getting that way, isn't it? That's that's the way it's feeling. That's what this latest wave felt like to me. It was just like you can't trust anybody's going to stay on the Indies at this point. And you know, you make the point. You know that it's if if someone offers a wrestler a contract and they are you know wanting to make it a career, it's kind of like okay, I could slave on the Indies for a few years, or I could take this contract and I could sign with WWE now, and I can say I'm a WWE wrestler. And for some wrestlers, that's enough. And for some wrestlers, that might be the right decision. El Liguero, that's the right decision. What more was El Liguero going to do on yeah. the Indies? You know, some even you know some of the you know there was one of the young wrestlers who got signed this round who I'd never even heard of, and he, he, he a young young wrestlers like that who are you know fresh to the business. I could imagine them kind of just going, "Oh my god, I'm getting signed by WWE right away." I'd be stupid to turn that down. But it's the I think it's about it depends on the case. It's knowing your worth. It's mm. it's a it's a, a kid's always the, the go to example. And I heard Andy Quilden talk about him on his podcast about you know somebody imagine how good a kid could have got over the next few years with a with a longer indie run that he got pretty deadly like you say we're snapped up before you know we were only barely talking about them this year is starting to make waves and we could have seen some really fun things with them on the indies and both from their point of view and if you don't want to if you really really don't want to blame the wrestlers and yet you're on team you know it's great the wrestlers are getting the money and <laughs> that's the only that's the only consideration here and there's no other way to look at it and there's no other consideration okay fair enough well, for, even from a WWE point of view, like James, you said, surely, surely you recognize that, you know, these wrestlers can get better outside and can, you know, you can bring them in at a point when they're actually ready and you can bring them in at a point where they can actually add value to you rather than just be more stock uh, in your performance center or more stock in Enfield. And yeah, it really is feeling that way that like, a, you know, one we're going to mention in a minute and I am absolutely going to leave the floor to Jamesy for it, but it's getting to the point where like nobody is safe. And I think that's what kind of we've learned these last couple of weeks. And yeah, if we do sound like bitter indie fans, it, it, you know, it's not that we've lost sight of the fact that, oh, great, these people are making money. But there's obviously more consideration. We're, you know, we're considering what we enjoy watching personally. Call that selfish, whatever you want. We're considering the strength of the scene and the companies that are left behind on the scene. And we're considering what we as fans would prefer to see these people do and prefer to watch them get better and, and watch them on their journey. Like I say, it's it's not all about, you know, great they made money because, you know, if it was that way, I think I, I made the joke on Twitter today, I was kind of saying, well, if, if that's the way you think about it, then, you know, why don't we all just wish for all the wrestlers we like to to win the lottery, 
none of them have to take bumps anymore. They can go off and make their money. If that's all that matters, all you want to see is your favourite wrestlers make money. There you go. We don't need a wrestling team whatsoever. There's obviously more to it. It's it's not that one-dimensional argument. You've got to consider the other the other side of it. And yeah, I think this this particular week was a particularly hard one to take in in just yeah just realizing that yeah anybody can be stopped up at any point by WWE even when they don't need them. And just read, I mean, just read Jericho's first book if you don't want to take it from us, because obviously he talks about that a great deal. How he, you know, he he became the wrestler he was by going around doing these, you know, small time shows in Germany and things like that, and then going over to Japan and having the failures as Super Liger and what have you and things like that, and they made him the wrestler that he was when he went into WWE and places like that. So you know, it's even sort of like people like him are going to be taking, you know saying that you should go around the world and, and get seasoned before you sign with WWE. But, um, I mean, we're digressing here. I mean, Tim Thatcher, that, that I mean, James, we heard a few rumours about him, but that must have been a, a big surprise uh, for you and a lot of people. Yeah, like, and like you said it there, Benno, it's, it, it's been a hell of a week in terms of signings. You know what I mean? Like, first of all, we heard about those those younger wrestlers and we've said our bit on that. And then the news came out um, yesterday, about or the day before yesterday, about Thatcher. And like, Thatcher, I would see Thatcher as a different case to the younger wrestlers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. On the positive, let's try and be positive about it. Tim Thatcher's 37 years of age. He has more than paid his dues on the indies. He has worked everywhere it is possible for him to work. He has honed his skills. He very much has found himself as a wrestler. He like like Tim Thatcher started out as a deathmatch wrestler, which a lot of people don't know, you know what I mean? And he did lots and lots of different gimmicks on the indies until he found something that, that he was comfortable with. And to all intents and purposes, he is ready now to go on and be a television superstar. You know, he has everything in place. He is as good as he is going to get. So from that point of view, I accept it. You know, um, it, 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 in my head, in a way, it's like when CM Punk and Daniel Bryan were signed in the mid 2000s. They were sure. the best available on the indies. And the natural or it's like it's like when we talk about Osprey and Zach, the natural order of things is for the best wrestlers on the planet to go on to, to bigger and better things and to leave the indies. And that's fair enough. But there are differences as well. Like Punk and Bryan went into WWE and they became main eventers. They became world champions. They were on TV every week. Um, there was room for them on the roster. Thatcher goes into WWE. Uh, somebody quoted the statistic the other day. There's over 250 active wrestlers in WWE at the moment. Um, they have operated a score start policy where they've signed everybody possible. They, they have literally signed everybody with a pair of boots that's available to sign that they could get their hands on purely to keep them away from other people. So he's going into that company and there's a very big chance that he'll get completely lost in the mix. Like, to, like you know, it's no secret how much I like and admire Tim Thatcher. But I also accept that Tim Thatcher is not for everybody. And even within our bubble, which I would call the hardcore wrestling fans, not a lot of people love Tim Thatcher in terms of his actual wrestling. Like, I heard you guys talking on Grapple about it and being a little bit indifferent to his wrestling. And I accept that. He's a very niche act. How over is he going to get in full sail? How over how over would he get if he came out? Like he's a boots and he's the most bare boned, you know, stripped back basic wrestler there may have ever been that made it to a high level. You know what I mean? How would it go down on Raw if he went out and had a fifteen to twenty minute Timothy Thatcher match? <laughs> you know how would I want to see it? Yeah, how how would it go down on full at full sale? You know what I mean? And like I just feel like they're a very very strange match in terms of a company to sign him and for him to go there. You know what I mean? But that's his decision. 
and I wish him all the best. I hold no ill will whatsoever towards Tim Thatcher in terms of making that decision at this point in his life. You know what I mean? He has more than paid his dues and I wish him all the best from that point of view. But I'm very sad about it and I'm very upset that I won't get to see Tim Thatcher wrestle anymore. Like, you know, at this point in my fandom, um, I find that there's less and less wrestling that I enjoy. Like, like I, I watch AEW sometimes and like a lot of it just passes me by completely. It doesn't grip me. It doesn't interest me. And Tim Thatcher was always the wrestler that interested me. He was always the guy who took my attention. That was the kind of wrestling that I love. Um, you know, in terms of like, I always said that there was three people that I would try and f- find every single match that they watched last year that made tape him, Daniel McAbee and Daniel Bryan, because they're the three wrestlers I probably admire more than anyone on the planet. Um, and like when I'd see people being signed in the last while, like the likes of, you know, you'd see a Shane Strickland being signed or Trevor Lee, people that I liked and I enjoyed their matches and that kind of thing. But you'd kind of shrug your shoulders. And I was always able to say to myself, well, at least we still have Thatcher. And I often put that tweet out when people were saying, look, it's not all bad. At least we still have Thatcher. Like, And I suppose I naively thought that he would never go there. You know what I mean? And there was a part of me that kind of, thought that he was a free spirit and an independent guy and a guy who had no interest in going there. Like it had been rumoured by Meltzer back as far back as 2016 that they were after him. And he seemingly had always said no. You know what I mean? So there was a part of me that just assumed we'd always have Thatcher available to us. And like, I I really, like it really annoyed me the last 24 to 48 hours on Twitter. Like this, this idea that you can't be upset that somebody you genuinely admire won't be there to have the matches like he is not going to have the matches that he had on the indies in WWE I don't know what they'll do with him I don't know what they'll make of him but it won't be the same Tim Thatcher and I'm allowed to be upset about that you know what I mean and I'm, I'm it is also possible to have two contrasting emotions where I can be happy for Tim Thatcher that he's going to get paid and I hope he has a good contract and I hope he's used well but I can also be sad for myself, you know what I mean? And I'm not obliged to kind of hide my feelings away just because, just because you know, he's, he's going to get paid. Like, as you said, Benno, wrestlers getting paid, is that even any concern of mine? You know what I mean? Mm. I'm a wrestling fan. I want to watch good wrestling. And the policy that WWE have kind of taken in the last two to three years has made it very difficult for me to watch good wrestling anymore and to watch the wrestling that I like because they've literally just whisked everybody possible away from the scene. You know what I mean? So I'm kind of really pissed off but this idea that we're obliged to be happy and just kind of bite our tongues and not say what we feel like. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care about these wrestlers and their mortgage. That's none of my business. You know what I mean? I want to see them wrestle. I'm a wrestling fan. And this idea that we have to be so involved in the personal lives of professional wrestlers these days that we have to care about their incomes and that kind of thing. Maybe that makes me sound like an asshole, but that's the way it is. You know what I mean? I, like my hobby is professional wrestling. My hobby is the, it's the thing that brings me more joy than anything else in the world. And like I'm allowed to be upset and sad if if one of the major kind of pers- people in, in that whole fandom is taken away. Like like to, to, in my head, in the last few days, the thought has been going around: his career is pretty much over. You know what I mean? Like the Tim Thatcher that we had on the Indies will not be whatever they make of him in WWE. It won't be the same guy, and we won't get to see him just grapple somebody for 20 minutes like we got to see on the Indies. We'd probably never see that again, and that's sad. And as I said, people need to stop this idea of policing what other people feel about wrestlers. If you're happy for a wrestler, 
And if you're so invested in that wrestler that you're more happy about their income than you are about the fact that you won't get to see them again, fair play. But but let people be upset and let people be annoyed about it. And like it's, you know, to me, it's it's a very sad few days. Like, you know what I mean? And my fandom has suffered very badly for this. You know what I mean? And it's it's just, yeah, that, that has been the most annoying thing. This, this idea that you can police what other people say and think and like let people be upset. You know what I mean? It's OK to be upset about this. I think... Yes. Um... And I absolutely howled at this, but I think JP Houlihan put it over perfectly in the latest grapple when he said I wasn't watching WrestleMania 6 and thinking, wow, Hogan was getting a monster payday for this. Exactly. exactly. It's, it's, like, it's like expecting, like I was talking to one of my mates today, like expecting, you know, football fans or to the point, you know, lower league football fans to be excited when their favorite player goes to warm the Chelsea bench. Like, you know, you could, you could, you could compartmentalize those two things of, I suppose in like a, in, in, in a slight way, I'm happy this person I don't know is maybe making some more money, but as a fan of this, of this team, of seeing this player, I am sad he's leaving. Like that's as simple as it is. And that's exactly what it is. And I do think like the Indies, and, you know, Brit Res and Euro Res, WXW, it all feels like, you know, little mini football teams that will follow. That's like a big part of like what the culture's been these last few years. And we get attached to these wrestlers and we get attached to these companies and we get attached to somebody like a Tim Thatcher who, you know, as James, he is articulated better than anyone will. He's someone who, who felt different. He's someone who, you know, seeing him outside of the WWE system doing his Tim Thatcher thing. And as James, he says, wasn't always for me. But it, but it definitely was at moments. But getting to see him be his own man was part of the appeal. Getting to see him in Tim's house in WXW was part of the appeal. And put bluntly, Tim Thatcher in WWE sounds fucking terrible. It does nothing yeah. good about that. Yeah. I can't imagine how that would be good. Maybe if it's a trainer role or something, I'll be more happy for him. But I re- I just don't see what there is to look forward to. I'm not listing off these dream matches because realistically, you know, they brought Daniel Bryan back for the brink of death and people had lists of dream matches that still haven't really happened. So I don't really expect it with Tim Thatcher. Um, you know, I think you can, you can expect maybe different things out of different wrestlers. And people did see Tim Thatcher as different and people did, you know, people will be disappointed that they don't get to see him. Like James is just articulated. And again, yeah, you can think those things without being upset that he's making money or as James is articulated, even caring what kind of money he's making or even caring what his paycheck is. It's fine for both of those things to be true. Well, something that didn't seem to get a lot of traction with all the news that's been coming out lately was uh, the announcement by Jazzy Gather, uh, the former alpha female. Um, I mean, ruining our prediction on the end of year show that nobody would ask for their release on <laughs> only a month into the year. Um, she's left NXT UK and she noted on the site Wrestling Inc. that, uh, you know, WWE was always her dream, but NXT UK was just so different from SmackDown or Raw, which is, you know, the programming she dreamt of being on. And, you know, asking if there was a chance to move up and the typical reply that creative has got nothing for you. I mean, now, Gabbett's not someone who has been all over NXT UK, but she was fairly well known ar- around the European scene. So, interesting quotes there, uh, there from uh, Jamesy, I thought. Yeah, and like her perspective was that, that she was underused, she felt she was used poorly, and she felt she wasn't paid very well. And like, there's your warning. And like, it's it's 
it's about time, you know, in a way that this started happening. Like this NXT UK thing is kind of three years in now. And like, it's not just her. I, I believe without it ever been made official, Killer Kelly has kind of moved away from NXT UK. Um, there was a kind of contradictory thing where she said that she wasn't. But then since that happened, she's removed all mention of NXT from the bio on her Twitter. It, it appears like she's independent again, like she's been announced for the for GCW Bloodsport on Mania weekend. So all the, and again, she was somebody who was barely used. Like she, she, she got, you know, every second or third taping, she got to have a short match and that kind of thing. Um, you know, we say it all the time that it's diff- that that for these lower down wrestlers that the opportunities in NXT UK are limited. I think it's even worse for female wrestlers in a way because, like, what have they really got to aspire to? Like, th- th- there's two big takeovers a year that NXT UK do on average, um, and there's one women's like of the five matches, there's one women's match on it. You know, so what do you like? There's there's like a dozen or more women on that roster, and maybe two or three spots twice a year on a big show is all you can aim for. You know what I mean? So it's it's kind of gratifying. Like we, we were talking about it, as you said uh, in the end of year podcast, who would be the first to break? Like, and it's it's just murmurings of dissent, and like it's no harm at all. And hopefully, these younger wrestlers who are signing up for it will actually listen to these people and take the take their advice on board, and just don't rush into it. Like you know what I mean? Um, there is, a, you know, they can improve in other ways and maybe go there on a higher pay scale and be more of a star. Um, because, you know, you hear rumblings from other people as well online about there's lots of people in WWE unhappy at the moment. As I said earlier, 250 wrestlers. Like, even if you're one of the best in the world, there's not going to be room for everybody to get on shows if that's the case, you know. Yeah, Benno, I mean, if it's true about Killer Kelly, I mean, she was someone who was, uh, you know, was getting quite a buzz for herself um, with those WXW shows and stuff before NXT UK happened. Yeah, exactly. And she's someone who, it seems like she knows her worth. And if it's true, you mentioned buzz. The most buzz I've heard about Killer Kelly in the last, what, year? Apart from when she turned up at WXW uh, at at the end of last year. Is it doing Bloodsport coming up yeah. Mania weekend? Is it doing something outside of WWE? Uh, yeah, she was one like the. I know people who are big fans of Kelly Killer Kelly, and she is someone who's got a. She's got something, but she's just been lost in that WWE system. I'd love to see more of that. I want to see more of people knowing the worth um, and trying things outside. Because again, yeah, she's someone who who can create her own buzz outside of WWE, and maybe the opportunity will come in three or four years when there isn't such a logjam, or in two years when there isn't such a logjam. But yeah, I'd love to see more of that. And it, yeah, that is the again the most I think I've heard Kill Kelly's name in uh, in quite a while. So uh, just the last bit of WWE news before we move on to something else, um, because because their decades long relationship with Sky ended, and uh, Raw, SmackDown, and NXT uh, officially became part of BT Sport on the first of January, and then on top of this, it was announced that uh, that they're going to have a highlights version of Raw and SmackDown showing on channel the Channel Five network over here in the UK, and then NXT UK is going to be showing them. One of Channel 5's other uh, channels, Paramount Network, at midnight on Wednesdays. Um, I mean, thoughts on all this shuffling for WWE over here and uh, WWE back on network TV, James? Uh-huh. Do you think it'll make a, a difference for them? I, I do think the Channel 5 thing is very important. Like, um, kids have to have a gateway into watching wrestling. You know what I mean? And, like, the, the live the live airing of Raw on a Monday night is no good for kids. You know what I mean? They're not up at that. They certainly shouldn't be up at that time watching wrestling. You know what I mean? Uh, You need to have wrestling, say, at seven to eight years of age, 
you need to have wrestling on at accessible times for kids. You know what I mean? Like, and I think back to how I started watching wrestling and it would have been when, when WWF, as it would have been at the time, Superstars was on at, at 3 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon. I vividly remember watching that with my brother, like, and that was how I started watching wrestling. You know what I mean? So you have to have TV. You, like, you need to get kids. I often wondered about wrestling in the last while. Like, how do kids get into it? Like, you know what I mean? But having it on free-to-air TV, having it on a channel like Channel 5, which would everybody in the UK have Channel 5 would I be right in saying that yeah, pretty, pretty much. much yeah. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. So like that, that's massive. You know what I mean? And for WWE to have that, like, and like, I was watching TV the other morning with, with my kids, and to see an ad for WWE on Channel Five, like, is it's kind of mind blowing. Like, it brings you back to the days of Channel Four, almost. You know what I mean? So. You know, we would have talked a good few months ago about this switch to BT Sports maybe being a bad thing for WWE. But um, the fact that they've got the Channel 5 deal and the fact that there's a kind of a nice one hour show for kids to sink their teeth into, I think that's really important for kind of grooming the next kind of generation of wrestling fans in the in the UK. Now, be yeah. careful what you wish for, James. I can't wait to see you at the, once your kids have gone to WWE on uh, Channel 5 with your foam finger at the next uh, house show in Dublin. <laughs> you guys be getting out the Thatcher tapes at that point. Then. <laughs> there you go. Teach them, them right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 one thing I'd probably say just a word of caution on it because I, I do think it could be underestimated how important it is to have like that daytime presence. Uh, I think it's always been important to making WWE fans, but you know, in the modern world, you know, WWE is all over YouTube. And that is probably where you make more yeah. kid fans these days than you do anywhere else. So if anyone's expecting some kind of boom period off this, uh, I'm not so sure. But yeah, every little helps. And, you know, it is good that, you know, WWE is in the public consciousness. Well, wrestling in general, maybe not WWE with our feelings for WWE. But, you know, they're in the public consciousness. So they're on a on a network who, in fairness to BT Sport, they don't get everything right. But they, they do seem to have been really pushing hard, this, uh, this new WWE relationship. Lots of promo material for it. Lots of uh, media type stuff they've been doing. Uh, so it's certainly, at the moment, looking good for WWE. And, uh, you know, maybe if it, even if it's monetarily not a great deal, it's been... Been a, it's been a good deal at least for you know the amount of effort bt are putting in uh but yeah you know i do think yeah the the, the channel five thing is good news but you know i guess we'll see yeah if we uh if we do enter another uk boom period um but again every little helps interesting that they didn't want to put an xt uk on channel five and they were just like uh, well we've got this <laughs> channel paramount yeah that'll do it <laughs> Quarter to midnight, yeah, after like, what's it after? Police interceptors or something like that? <laughs> it's a hell of a run. The graveyard shift. <laughs> but I mean, looking at BT, I mean, you mentioned a bit about them getting fully behind WWE there, and I imagine it's costing them a lot of money to, you know, buy the rights for WWE. So, but I, I know loads of people who've got Sky Sports by now, but I hardly know anybody that's got BT Sport. I mean, the, their reach compared to Sky isn't, isn't nowhere near as much as, as Sky have got, is it? Yeah, that's it. It's a weird one, isn't it? Because like when BT first launched, a lot of people were getting it like free with certain packages and stuff. And yeah, with your broadband, weren't broadband you? and all that. Yeah, yeah. So it did feel at one point like prevalent. But you are right, there is that. I mean, the one thing I'd say is like you know the amount of people who were watching it on watching Raw, you know, each week. It was it was. I could I could imagine BT Sport at least being able to come close to those numbers because they weren't very big numbers whatsoever. So maybe you'll get more people moving over. But I do think yeah, that's probably a reason why WWE maybe even themselves have maybe pushed for this this channel five slot as well just to to get themselves out there but yeah that is a that is a bit of a warning sign yet that it's uh it's maybe become even it could become even more of a niche being on a on a more niche channel in sky sports 
And uh, moving on to Progress, who um, who've had quite the eventful month. Um, obviously, Jim Smallman left at the end of last year. Uh, Matt Richards came in as the new MC and uh, behind the scenes uh, in creative to replace Jim. And um, at the first show of uh, 2020, their champion Eddie Dennis gave up the Progress Bell due to injury. I mean, sort of crowned a new champion in Coronar at Chapter uh, 101. And on the same show, William Eva created a whole shitstorm of controversy by throwing Michael Oko onto a bunch of fans. And it's been disputed whether he warned them or not before throwing, before throwing Oko. And then he was subsequently suspended from the company in a is it a shoot or not thing. And then... After Chris Brooks was seemingly disparaging of the company on on a live stream, he got into a war of words with co-owner Glenn Joseph. That um, I, I don't think many people were fooled by it, and it led to a match with champion Coronar at Chapter uh, One Hundred Two. And some folks say Brit Rest is boring now. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, let's get into that title change first. I mean, nobody likes to see anybody get injured. I mean, so as much as we weren't the biggest fans of Eddie Dennis's champion, shame to see him pick up um, another injury. And they had a four-way dance for the title, Coronawar against Kyle Fletcher, against Ilya Dragunov, against Paul Robinson. And um, I wasn't expecting much from the show, but I really enjoyed this match, uh, which saw uh, Cara pick up the belt there, Jamesy. Yeah, and like obviously, you know, the, the injury, we wish Eddie Dennis all the best. And, you know, you would never wish injury on anybody whatsoever. Um, but I, like when I heard it had happened, I wasn't exactly shocked either. You know what I mean? Like to, to me, it was always a massive risk putting the belt on him in the flick. Like they put the belt on him before he had even recovered from the last injury, which in itself is a massive risk. You know what I mean? Now, now he did come back and he had had a few matches. And like you thought, okay, clearly he's over the injury and that kind of thing. But like he's a guy who's been highly, highly injury prone over the last few years. Like he's had several injuries, you know what I mean? So like it's it's, it's a bit like, God, it was a risk in the first place and a risk that didn't pay off. Um, and you sympathize with the promotion when something like that happens to some extent, even though it was their decision to put it on an injury prone wrestler. Um, he was injured at the time. It was injured which... at the time. So like, yeah, I mean, maybe we shouldn't have sympathy for them, but like, you're in a situation <laughs> there where, where, where you have to kind of hot shot the belt onto somebody, you know what I mean? Mm. And I've seen a bit of debate about whether Karen Noir was the right person to me of the available options. Like if you look at everybody who was on that chapter 101 show, I would say he was probably the best best choice of a fairly mediocre bunch of options. You know what I mean? Um, what I like about it is that he's he's. I think he's the first non WWE contracted champion since is it since Marty Scurll maybe or, or since since Ever? I can't remember which order they were in. Like it's a long time since they had the belt on somebody who wasn't WWE. Now it's eminently possible that Karen Noir signed to, yeah <laughs> we signed to WWE before the summer. There's a high possibility of it. Fair enough. But at least at the moment they have a champion that they have full booking power over like he won't be whisked away as it stands from them to do NXT UK tapings and that kind of thing and that's a major plus you know um, like it, it felt like at times they had no control over Walter they couldn't pin Walter they ended up having to book that really convoluted finish uh, on the big show to, you know where Dennis walked into the match to pin Star because they couldn't pin the NXT UK champion at least that's kind of gone out of it you know what I mean he's a wrestler with a little bit of buzz he's a wrestler who has fresh match matchups you know like he hasn't wrestled a lot of the top guys in progress yet so from that point of view he's not the worst person to put the belt on and I would say he's probably 
a progress champion I'm more interested in than a lot of the champions they've had in the last while. Um, I thought I thought the match itself was pretty good, pretty entertaining match. It's kind of a pity that they had just blown off the Karen Noir Dragunov feud literally on the show before because it felt like they were going back to something that had already been settled. Um, but again, I suppose circumstances out of their control to some extent. And, you know, I'm more interested in Karen Noir as progress champion than I am Eddie Dennis. So, I mean, that's a plus, I guess. Um, I don't know what you thought about it, Benno. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat because I think for me, we give, how many pelters do we give progress for, you know, booking basically Fight Club Pro for a year later, you know, with <laughs> Travis Banks and with, you know, British Strong Style and just generally kind of jumping on guys, maybe just a, a bit past, you know, their, their big buzz period on the indies. I think you've got to, therefore, you know, when the reverse happens, give them credit for going with Karanoa. And it was obviously a forced thing, uh, as you've said, but even in a pinch, I think it's it, it's interesting that they've gone with the with the more interesting op- option. I think Ilya might have been a safer pair of hands, but even Ilya, you know, he's, he's still fresh to progress. It feels like he's only really gotten over these last, what, six months or so. Um, but I think it's encouraging, and I think it was the right thing to do to put those two in the in maybe make them two the, the two final men in that main event and make make that you know you said you know James it was kind of like a to put in the words of Glenn Joseph an encore of the uh, the feud they've been having the feud that you know I have enjoyed like I I think overall there's been parts of it where it's been a bit too goofy uh, with the whole love story stuff uh, and there have been moments in the matches where they maybe got leaned a bit a bit too far in that direction but. But I do think, you know, it's been a while since Progress has felt like they had a meaningful roster, a while since it's felt like they've had meaningful feuds going on. And I would say, you know, Karen Awar and Anilia Dragunov in the, the latter half of last year, maybe on a in a otherwise barren promotion, have been a success story. So cool to see them lean into that. We'll see if Karanoir remains a non-WWE wrestler. I'm suspicious, Jamesy. As soon as he got announced for Carrot Weekend, I was like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and now he's the progress champion. Hmm. We'll see on that point. But it is interesting, like I say. And they've, they've get, they're getting him right. They've given him the full riptide entrance now. They've finally got that element of his presentation right. Uh, and yeah, they've gone with somebody fresh. Whether they can, you know, counteract how many years of progress being really bad at booking babyface world champions, <laughs> I guess we'll see. But, you know, on a show where there wasn't really too much else newsworthy, I did think this was something that they over, overall got right and something we should at least give them a chance to see uh, exactly how it plays out. Even if, yeah, as you mentioned, Mark, Mark, uh, Martin, the, uh, the Chapter 102 news did make me uh, a bit cautious. Even more than- um, Benno, I mean, what were your thoughts um, on all this Eva nonsense? Yeah, I mean, on that... <sighs> He's someone who <laughs> he's just he's not good though, is he? That's the thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's, I, I feel like I, I feel like I might defend him if he was anyone else because like I, I, I can see the both sides of the story. You know, he's getting launched into fans in the crowd, and it sounds like they they went r- about it pretty recklessly. You know, him tearing down off the building as well. Um, sounds like he was in a bit of a a reckless mood and I can kind of understand like the progress suspension that came as a result of it but there is the other side the muse kind of like come on there's people who would have paid good money to be sat in those seats and get have wrestlers thrown at, on at them wasn't there a show called Men Throw Men at Men wasn't that a progress show Yeah, uh, you know they, they kind of it was part of the advertising earlier on maybe that shows you also how much progress has changed so you know there is a part of me that wants to defend them and kind of say well what do you expect going to a progress show but 
at the end of the day, he's just not very good and he's not worth the trouble. And if he is upset in your fan base and he is upset, you know, some, some of the more vocal people. And if, you know, he did cause any kind of injuries to fans, then it is, you know, difficult to kind of say, well, I'll stick with him. You know, it'll be worthwhile because at the end of the day it is, it's believer, isn't it? So yeah, I do struggle <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to have much motivation in defending him. I mean, um, the Chris Brooks sort of like work shoot thing was just really weird, wasn't it, James? Because it was like it just didn't really need to happen, did it? Oh, it, it was a complete shambles. Yeah, like it, as you say, exactly, Martin. They 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 shot themselves like the whole concept of it was flawed from the beginning because all they had to do there was like like Brooks was the person who in storyline brought Karen Noir into the company, so all they had to do was two or three weeks before the show say you know a simple little video from Chris Brooks saying I brought you into the company now I want to test your mettle I want you to prove that you were worthy of me bringing into the company let's have a title match and away you go and that's your match booked you have you give people plenty time to buy their tickets you give travelling fans Chris Brooks is coming towards the end of a kind of a farewell tour at Brit West that would have got people in the door a Chris Brooks Chris Brooks title match on a show like the fact that it was in Cardiff which is a place he's worked regularly for attack you could have sold tickets on the back of that and instead they decided to work, you know, this work shoot thing. And like when it was in Brooks's hands, like we were talking about it, he he made some comments on that Friday stream. And we were still in, like we were talking in the DMs about it. And we were kind of 50-50. We were thinking, God, like, is this real or not? So when Brooks was kind of in control of it, there was some doubt in our minds about it. But like the minute the progress guys got a hold of it, like they just completely ruined the whole thing. Like they, they just, they were so heavy handed with it. It was so obvious from from that tweet that, that, that Len put up that it was clearly a kind of a botched work shoot that they were doing. You know what I mean? And yeah. even storyline wise, it made no sense. So like, think about the story they're trying to tell. Brooks goes on social media and badmouths progress and gives out about the owners of it. And the owners respond to that by saying, OK, Chris Brooks, we'll punish you by putting you in a match against our champion and give you the chance to walk out of progress and go to Japan <laughs> with the title. It's like the, the logic of the whole thing is completely upside down. You know what I mean? It makes no sense. Um, I think that they're so deluded, I think, the people that run progress, that they thought it would turn Brooks heel. I think that's what they were trying to get at. They have a babyface champion and they wanted Brooks to be the heel going into that match. But Chris Brooks is Chris Brooks. Chris Brooks yeah. is the most well-liked, popular wrestler amongst young UK fans that there is out there. He was never going to go into that match as a heel and he certainly wasn't going to go into that match as a heel if it's his farewell match in progress. You know what I mean? So it was just a convoluted mess from start to finish. The whole idea of it was wrong, the way they told it was wrong. Like there were people who were worked by it. You could see on Twitter, but they weren't worked in a good way they were pissed off that they were worked about it like it and like there were some of the most prominent twitter fanboys like the guys who will oh, yeah everything every single thing the progress ever do they'll always be the ones that pipe up and say stop complaining even they were annoyed and even they were pissed <laughs> off about it like so so no good came from it they, 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 they ran it so close to the show that they gave themselves no chance to sell extra tickets from it so it was just, you know, you talk about a new era in progress, like, but it's been, it's been a fairly oh. eventful new era so far. And it kind of feels like, God, more of the same, like, and the amount of things they've kind of got wrong in the first few weeks of the year, like, is, is, is pretty worrying, to be honest. 
Yeah, you don't want to give like those fans who are on the fence, who are kind of hating from Smallman leaving already, mm-hmm. seeing yeah. that it's a different progress. Because like that was a, that was an overwhelming thing from watching Chapter One Hundred One. I was watching it thinking, you know, they didn't do the full WCW overhaul, but it felt a little WCW two thousand. It felt a little bit like, oh, what's this new progress? And you don't want people to be scared off. And I think by by yeah, uh, you know, by changing too much at once. Like that's a problem, but also by yeah, making yourselves the heel by booking, you know, the world's worst shoot storyline that lasted what two hours. Like even on Twitter, that's a quick time. Um, and you take yeah, and it, even if you know the the story had gone off without a hitch, you're making yourselves the heel. That's again WWE Playbook 101 is is making you the company the heel, um, even not on purpose uh, at times, and turning you know it. Like Jamesy said, Chris Brooks is absolutely beloved in Brit Res circles. And if you've got, you know, Smallman's gone, and then you've got Chris Brooks giving people permission to shit on progress, you walk in a dangerous line there yeah. and maybe yeah. turn it away. Some of your most loyal fans. And yeah, that was the the overwhelming thing I got was just people kind of just not happy with the with telling this story and not just doing the the simple thing. Uh, and it sounds like, you know, we we haven't seen the show yet, but it sounds like the match overwhelmingly went off without a hitch and they got away with one but i just thought yeah they were just far too creative for their own good for this one something what got lost in all of this um i don't even know if i made it up in my own head now but brooks announced <laughs> that uh while still in japan in january that he's going to be facing that sushi and eater in the death matching march and i i was like how is this not getting even more traction i mean obviously anita's you know, best days, if he even had any good days, are way, way behind him. I mean, more as a draw. I mean, we've all seen that video of him entering New Japan. I mean, what a what a star presence that guy had, especially with all the Japanese fans pelting him. But, I mean, that's a that's a big deal for someone like Brooks. I mean, a deathmatch against, like, sort of arguably the king of deathmatches there, Jamesy. Yeah, and, like, it, it, again, not to keep harping on about it, like, but... It's it's evident that you can follow your dreams in wrestling, and like you, you, your dreams of being a wrestler shouldn't be limited to going down to Enfield and doing a thousand squats with William Regal standing over you. You know what I mean? Like the, the, you can do interesting things. Like you know what I mean? And I get the impression that that Anita is a major hero of Brooks. You even look at look at Brooks's leather jacket that he wears and that kind of thing. Like I have a feeling that he's probably a massive fan of Anita. You know what I mean? So like you have to take everything that's announced about Anita with a pinch of salt, like the amount of shows that he's no-showed and the amount of things he's promised he'll do that he's never followed up on and that kind of thing. It's a match that might never happen. But like there's Chris Brooks, a British wrestler, who has the chance of wrestling at Sushi Anita. Like like that's massive, you know what I mean? And like, you know, you can follow your dreams in wrestling and if you follow your own path, you can do incredibly interesting things in the current environment. Like, And, and there is a very much a well-established pathway for wrestlers to go to Japan now. There are options. I'll keep banging this drum for the rest of this show if I have to. There are options out there for wrestlers and you don't have to sign the first thing that's put in front of you. There are interesting things to do. And, you know, there are bucket lists that you can make in wrestling and things to aspire to that go beyond being on a taping every few months in York or whatever it is, you know. More Chris Brooks, less Travis Banks. I think that's what we want now. (laughs) For wrestling 2020. Yep. And then moving away from the UK now and on to Ireland and following probably their best year since they formed. Uh, I mean, OTT have got a tough act to follow this year after their 2019 and they held the Contenders event of the year on the 1st of February at the Ringside Club in Dublin. And uh, James, you were there live for this one and saw David Starr make a title defence uh, against LJ Cleary. 
yeah, and it's, I suppose it's, OTT is in a bit of an interesting place at the moment, I think. Like, we've come off the back of this, you know, this this massive storyline that's had plaudits thrown at it from everyone in the world, and it's been rated as one, one of the great storylines in independent wrestling. And it's it seems now, with Jordan winning that Cruiserweight title and with him seemingly being in America more, it kind of does feel like that, that chapter is closed. You know, we were kind of talking at the end of the year that maybe Jordan would come back in a few months that kind of seems less likely to happen now. So we're kind of at the start of a new chapter in OTT. And it's a bit, like, you know, the way you come out of this amazing storyline and it's a bit like, what do we do now? You know what I mean? And how do we follow that up? Like, And they have big shoes to follow in terms of storylines and that kind of thing. Like, But but this show overall was a really, really solid start of the year. Like, I would definitely say to people, if you're going to pick some matches from the show, for sure watch the main event between Star and LJ Cleary. Like, it was a really, really good match. I would say definitely the performance of LJ's young career so far. He, he was phenomenal in the match. I've had reservations about LJ as, as a serious singles wrestler. I find that he kind of leans into comedy a little bit too much sometimes. I've sometimes thought that his work is a little bit light, that he doesn't kind of hit hard enough, that there's not enough intensity to what he does. Like, but he kind of, he answered every criticism I would have had of him in this match. Like, he, you know, he got stuck in with his striking. He was intense. He was focused. There was a real big match feel in the build like and the atmosphere for the match was phenomenal um and star was star like you know a tremendous bully like he kind of he did some really really mean and nasty limb work on on lj's leg um i don't know if you guys saw it at the end of the year um star had wrestled mike bailey in one of the one of the kind of later shows in december no, in I, OGT. That one. I remember it was happening but yeah. i missed it yeah and and it was a bit kind of, it was a really good match, but it was really heavy on the storyline stuff at the end of it. Like they did a false finish and Star was kind of doing an awful lot of character stuff. And some of us kind of felt that maybe he was kind of, he was nearly going too far with the storyline stuff and he was trying to do too much with it and the match quality was suffering. But like, I felt that this match struck a really nice balance between having a really good wrestling match and yet he still did character advancement stuff. Like that they're doing a storyline now where he's, He's basically his own kind of Twitter persona where he's for the workers. And what he's done in OTT is he's he's got the ring crew on his side. So the guys who catch the dives and that kind of thing. And like there was a point in the match where they did a dive and the ring crew kind of all gathered together to save him and that kind of thing. And just like they managed to forward that storyline, but without kind of completely ruining the match. Like and the match had a clean finish and really good. Like I would say that the first really, really good match that people should go out of their way to see in Europe so far this year. Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting to see where OTT do go because obviously there's a um, you know there's a number of challenges that Davis talking up for his title because obviously you've got this uh, quite a, a deep roster in OTT, especially with a lot of this homegrown talent. So it will be interesting to see where they go, especially for these uh, bigger shows like Scrapermania, I feel, Jamesy. Yeah, so like, and the next big show that, that there's a kind of a medium sized show, I suppose, between now and Scrapper Mania. Uh, it's actually just next weekend, and he's wrestling Jeff Cobb in the main event of that. Um, we we know nothing about Scrapper Mania yet. It's it's actually quite unusual for OTT. I don't know, do they not want to give away stuff that's going to happen on this next show so they don't want to announce people yet, maybe? But, like, it's very strange for them to put tickets... Like, like the tickets have been on sale for this stadium show since before Christmas, and no no talent announcements whatsoever. Um, now, Pack is on the next show, um, and I have a feeling they'll do something to build towards maybe Star Against Pack as the main event at the stadium, um, because... 
who else are the big names? Like we talk mm. about the Indies been kind of cleaned out of people. The big names that you can put in a big show main event are very, very few and far between, especially in Europe at the moment. Like, And if you're not going to be able to get a Walter or a Jordan Devlin, it's like Pac is probably your guy. If you can get him, if he's available, I think he's a big name. He's on TV. He probably will get casual fans in the door. Um, so that's the way I see it going. But as I said, just a very strange one that nothing has been announced yet. You know what I mean? Like usually they will have announced New Japan talent or something like that. And I, in a way, I suppose it's it's a sign of the confidence the company has that they can put tickets on sale for a big show like that and like they apparently have sold quite well like all all the expensive seats the front three rows that, that you know that, that are really pricey seats have all sold so like when you're an independent company in 2020 and you're able to sell a big show like that without announcing people like you're really on the right track you know what i mean but um you know at the same time you then don't want to disappoint people and kind of announce names that are a little bit kind of in between you know and they don't have that big three-way feud to fall back on anymore because that that basically sold shows for the last 18 months like you basically kind of rotated between star devlin star walter star you know devlin walter they basically rotated that feud around for 18 months and sold a lot of big shows on the back of it that's gone now and it's really interesting to kind of see what they're going to do next i suppose yeah definitely i think it's certainly going to be interesting where they go and certainly with people like star involved and you know obviously they're all working behind the scenes at ott certainly um be interesting to see where they do go for Scrappermania because certainly you would assume that they're going to have some uh, some big plans for that one. But um, I mean, moving away from Ireland and back to the UK now, and um, and Red Pro must have had one of their busiest starts to the year in in the few years that they've been running. Obviously, they absorbed Southside into the company and uh, they've been taking over their towns. And they've already run four shows this month. And uh, the big news came from their show in Guildford where. Following him leaving the company last summer after a loss to Will Ospreay, uh, David Starr's made his return to the company under under a mask as the Legionnaire, defeating Sean Custom for the Southside heavyweight title and uh, seemingly joining forces with uh, No Fun Done. And uh, Benno, what were your thoughts on uh, Starr's return here? It seemed to come quite out of the blue, didn't it? Yeah, it was kind of like I, I saw the, the spoilers come in and it was like, but why here? Why now? Like, what? Uh, considering it was such a big story and the cockpit is such a part of the, you know, that David Starr, you know, uh, British Cruiserweight title aesthetic, like you would have expected it to happen there. I know they had the cockpit show at the weekend, didn't he? Uh, I don't believe he was on. Oh, he was on that show as well. You could have done it there. Um, yeah, I just I kind of find the whole thing a bit strange. Maybe they're trying to put some buzz on on those like lower shows uh make you know people travel travel out to a to a guildford next time you know because you, you could see you know a big moment like this a big david star return yeah it just didn't feel as big as i expected but i would say it's it's taking your medicine isn't it i think rev pro had you know a pretty poor to 2019 by that by their standards um and i do think a big part of it was kind of towards the end when you know they really could have done with david star around to to anchor the shows and anchor the stories they didn't have him anymore through kind of their own choice which was so bizarre so i think at the end of the day i'm just glad he's back uh but it is really an odd story to do with like the anti-fun police and him being this legionnaire and just i don't really kind of 
get where they're going with it. I, I, I more expected David Starr to just come back in at the at the top and make a big splash on a York Hall or a big spa, splash on a cockpit show. Uh, but as long as we get there, as long as he's here and he's going to be a big deal and he's going to you know, be able to, I don't know, anchor these Rev Pro shows. And by all rights, I think he should be the Rev Pro champion at this point. Hopefully that happens before the end of the year as well. I think all will be forgiven. But yeah, it certainly wasn't the the way I expected to uh, see him coming back into Rev Pro. But no, it's interesting they're keeping these Southside titles around. I mean, obviously, we'll talk about it in a bit. But obviously, the Rev Pro uh, British Heavyweight title is obviously, you know... um, more defended in Japan now than over here in the UK. Do you think they're trying to put some, by having star winning titles like that, do you think they're trying to use these titles to sort of bolster some of these smaller shows? Maybe, you know, and it gives, it gives you know, a, a hook to main events and it, it allows you to do with David Starr what they did with him with the Cruiserweight belt for all that time. Um, but yeah, I, I'd kind of, I think they still got a title of the Rev Pro. Is that British title still exists, does it? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, no, I'll leave that. I mean, it's like, it's, <laughs> it makes sense to do um, and maybe keep, you know, a mid-card belt around. I think the Cruiserweight belt has got, you know, it's got a, a sort of history behind it, and it's got you know a, a worthy champion in an LP and a probable champion uh, coming up in in Michael Oku. So you can keep that thing around and keep it separate. But I suppose it's not it's not the end of the world having a second heavyweight title. I just I think I'd rather see you know this Rev Pro British title that's uh, advertised so prominently on New Japan shows. Actually, some of that advertisement paid off a little bit more, and we see it more on proper Rev Pros Rev Pro shows in in 2020 compared to what we saw in 20. 19 with a uh, with Zach's title run that kind of went missing from the company uh, over that last year. I mean, Jamesy was certainly definitely out of the blue. Uh, Stars return and the way he returned, but um, something completely different. I thought, you know, um, you know, it, sometimes it, you know, depending on where this does go with the Legionnaire thing and you know his his uh, team up with no fun done. You know, something very different and perhaps some, you know, it it's not always uh, the best thing. You know it being your expectations and them doing something completely different to what you expected. Yeah, like, the thing that baffles me is I still don't understand why on earth he left in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> a promotion that was so lacking in star power, like, towards the end of the year, like, and, and, a, and a promotion that was struggling so much to keep people, like you mentioned earlier, guys, that, that, that Andy Q podcast where he was literally talking about guys he'd built up for months and months, the likes of your A-Kid, guys he'd kind of promised a spot on the card for, for kind of the foreseeable future in the likes of Pretty Deadly, and next thing, they're just gone. You know what I mean? And all his best laid plans kind of thrown up in the air again. You know what I mean? And why on earth would you voluntarily have the the backbone of the company leave in the first place? You know what I mean? So like the the whole angle seems a bit convoluted to me. Why it would happen on such a small show as the one in Guildford, I don't understand. But I, I think at this point, like Benno said, you just take it that he's back. You know what I mean? Yeah. And hopefully in, in a month's time, you won't even remember the angle that brought him back and you'll just be glad that David Starr is back on Rev Pro shows like because, God, did, did they really miss him? You know what I mean? And I, I kind of take that Southside title thing as, as maybe their way of moving him away from being a cruiserweight. And it's kind of like, okay, David Starr is a heavyweight now. So when the time comes around for him to wrestle, whether it's uh, Will Ospreay or Zack Sabre Jr. for that title, he'll kind of be established as in the heavyweight division instead of the cruiserweight division. Yeah, unification. That could be on the cards. Yeah, I could definitely see like that. that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we can't All talk right. Red Pro without also talking New Japan and the British representation on those New Beginning shows this past weekend. I mean, 
Before we get into that match, uh, I, I want to talk a bit about Gabriel Kidd, obviously making his uh, on-tape debut here against El Fantasma. I thought he looked pretty decent. He's never going to be much of a match considering he's, he's still uh, very much a young boy in the promotion, Benno. No, that's it. It was he was you know you, you, I think you've there's a certain expectation of a young boy in New Japan, and you're not going to get him going out there and trying to kill himself and try and you know do a fifty fifty match by any means. But he looked you know as good as a, as a young boy can look in a match, and he just looked like someone who yeah I, I was looking at it going yeah you've made the right decision here kid you know I, I, literally kid and he's kind of got himself <laughs> to a, <laughs> he's got himself on these shows already and i think it shows that yeah you know again it's, the, it's probably the, the the lessons take from this podcast if it had the title it'd be bet on yourself kid <laughs> that's kind of what we've got here and he's somebody who has he's better on himself and he's gonna be you know he could easily be you know, for, for his doubters i know where we don't have many on this podcast jay white he could be the next jay white do you know what i mean he could work his way right through those new japan ranks so they're, they're clearly hiring him by giving him a position like this straight away in there with a guy you'd imagine he's familiar with in el fantasma who is perfect as kind of the dick who kind of was aware of who this uh this young kid is and, and playing with him and such and i thought that was that was a cool dynamic too but i did think yeah he he, he looked good he looked as good as you got to but i think for more than anything it made me hopeful that yeah the high on him he's not going to waste away in whatever the japanese equivalent is of a warehouse in enfield and he is going to be somebody who's going to get use um at, you know he's prominently on screen at, at wrestle kingdom so at that point it kind of looked like yeah he's going to be a young boy they like um he's taking you know he took that big bump didn't he in the uh the moxley match was it um he, oh, yeah. he's kind of he, he's someone who clearly that, that you know whether it's shabata or whoever backstage they've taken a liking to him and yeah, I think you know, Gabriel Kidd didn't do a huge amount uh, for me in the limited bits yeah. I saw him on the Indies and the likes of the Fines and that. But he was so, he was just so young, wasn't he? And he was someone who I wouldn't want to see on NXT UK TV immediately. I'd love to see him develop as a young boy and earn those bigger opportunities, maybe get a few more opportunities in Rev Pro. I'm far more excited about him now than I was 12 months ago. And um, and moving on to the the big match of the weekend, obviously Will Ospreay v Zack Sabre Jr. for the British Heavyweight Title. Uh, can these two have a bad match? Could watch this like every day of the week. <laughs> Chemistry absolutely off the charts. Incredible reversals and counters. Zack once again having Ospreay's number, making him pass out with another great submission move. I mean, I, I thought this was absolutely fantastic. I mean. Not not as good as uh, my match of the year for 2018, the match they had in Red Pro, but uh, yeah, still um, a brilliant match between these two. I thought, Jamesy. Oh God, yeah, like, and uh, I would say uh, up there with their best matches, like. Um... You know, to, to have the time to have a match like that on a stage like this as well, like, is, is pretty phenomenal. You know, like, to, to be on a kind of a, a main roster New Japan show, you know what I mean? A major show of the weekend and to be the ones that steal the show as well, like, a, a huge thing for British wrestling, you know what I mean? And again, back yourself and follow your path is the, the, the overriding theme of this podcast, you know? Um, two guys who very much back themselves and look where they are now, like, at the very top of the card in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, yeah, really good. Uh, what I like about this match was I felt it was a very restrained performance from Osprey in particular you know like it wasn't the usual 
fireworks from from start to finish stuff that you would see from him an awful lot like it was he picked his spots like he's gotten really really good at picking his spots and making them count and maybe doing things like teasing a spot and then going back to the spot maybe a few minutes later in the match and actually hitting it and that kind of thing like he's become a really mature and clever wrestler in the last kind of 12 to 18 months I think Um, and like Zach you know these two guys have always had amazing chemistry I thought Zach looked really really sharp as well like everything he did kind of had a great snap to it a great aggression to it um the the thing we always say about two guys who know each other very well they'll kind of lay it in a little bit better like the, all the submission holds looked a little bit tighter than they normally would there was a brilliant struggle over a, a figure four leg lock in the middle of the match that I thought was just really good I would say a lot of it was very simple wrestling but wrestling done very very well you know and you know to two guys that are a credit to themselves and a credit to British wrestling and great to see you know wrestlers of that caliber being on a stage that they deserve to be on and being used in the way that they deserve to be used. And as I said, this <laughs> I'm very salty on WWE in particular this week of all weeks. So I'm going to take every chance I had to take a pop at them. You know, there are alternatives <laughs> there for wrestlers and I'll keep saying it if I have to all, all night. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And this is, this is the great kind of the story of what you could be young wrestler, what, what you could be young Gabriel kids. If you stick to your guns and, and, and believe in yourself, you can be, you know, in a match that is mostly, it's going to be on, maybe it's not going to make my match of the list year at the end of the year, but it's going to be on people's lists. It's going to be in the conversation. And it felt like, it, yeah, it was two wrestlers who belonged in that stage. And it felt like a worthy entry into, you know, their canon. Uh, as you said, I know you've always been high on their matches, Martin, as have I, and they are just two wrestlers who just, they do, just something that you wouldn't expect their two styles to to blend together so well and you wouldn't expect their personalities to blend together so well as well they come across as two men who you would uh, imagine uh wouldn't particularly like each other two characters who wouldn't like each other and two styles that are very much uh mirror not, not maybe the opposite the absolute polar opposite of each other uh that they could be and then yet somehow it just works and it works zach saber's kind of is pretzely submissions uh, copyright Ollie Court uh, would be <laughs> they work on a lot of wrestlers but they work really well on Osprey there's something about the the way their match structure works where he's grabbing holds Osprey's trying to keep up with him and eventually Zack Sabre overwhelms him overwhelms him to the point where he is like an octopus with a with a limb in each part of Osprey's body and putting him in a, a brand new fancy submission move that at that point you know Osprey's escaped some, from so many others earlier in the match and he can't escape from that last one it, it, there's something about Zack Sabre Jr. and Osprey that just brings you know the best out of each other, and they tell these great stories. And yeah, it was a, another way of the entry, and it is the type of thing it does make you proud to be a, a Brit Res fan, getting to see him do this in the semi-main in a match that could have been the main event, but on a major New Japan show with the world watching. You know, I've got some of my own issues with maybe uh, the way the Rev Pro belt has been used these last couple of years, but talk about shot window for Rev Pro and shot window for British Res. This is, you know, when you want the world to look at British wrestling, this is the stuff you want them to see. Oh, yeah, definitely. And just like you said there, the story they are telling between the two and when Osprey finally does get the better of Zach, it's going to be fantastic. I mean, drop the bomb yesterday, uh, Repro, that the rematch is going to take place at high stakes. You're calling Valentine's Day 14th of February. I mean, good isn't putting it, he's putting it mildly out that I can't wait down for this one. Live going to be a fantastic oh, match and surely a raucous crowd for this one. Um, I mean, we give progress some flack, so it's only fair. Not enough notice for us Northern fans, but yeah, yeah Durant, I suppose the Rams are tied behind the back having to, you know, wait out this match for... Wait out 
uh, announcing this match uh, after the past weekend and waiting on what New Japan were doing, Jamesy? Uh, yeah, I, I, I sympathise with them to some extent, but like... There's a lot. But also, would it be the end of the world if, if two weeks before Osprey and Sabre wrestle in New Japan, that you say, no matter who wins that match, there'll be a rematch in your call? That's not that. That's not giving anything away, major. You know what I mean? Like it's it, that that doesn't necessarily spoil who wins the match in Japan or anything like that. You know that there are ways around it. Like you know what I mean? And it 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 does feel like you know Rev Pro are almost an an afterthought to New Japan in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? And like you guys on Grapple had a, a, a very spirited debate about the whole topic. You know what I mean? And you know I I, I do feel like that that. Rev Pro have absolutely no choice but to be in cahoots with New Japan. Like, if they didn't have the New Japan relationship, God knows where they'd be as a company at the moment. You know what I mean? I don't think they would be capable of running your call shows with, with the roster they have, you know. So, but like, you know, they, in a lot of cases, you will have a big company and a small company, and the small company kind of gets swallowed whole almost by New Japan. And it's like, it's, it very much does feel like they're. Revpro was almost New Japan UK at this point, and then a kind of a company that also runs a few smaller shows while they're passing the time until the next lot of New Japan talent comes over. You know what I mean? And I don't know if there's a way out of it. I don't, I, I, I do think that probably just is the way things are. I think Andy Quilden is happy to accept being that. You know what I mean? And he he feels like it is worthwhile to have his belt defended on these bigger shows in Japan. I would question that a little bit. Like like in terms of monetary value to the company having their title on Wrestle Kingdom and that kind of thing does that actually translate into money for RevPro in some way does it honestly get people signing up to their VOD and looking up their matches I don't know if it does to be honest you know what I mean but it is what it is and I do think like New Japan are very much a lifeline to RevPro I do think RevPro are very much at their mercy I, I think I think I would imagine the way that meetings between Gato or Kidani or whoever Andy Q deals with in New Japan, it very much is along the lines of they tell him what to do and he kind of says, thank you, sir. Uh, who can we have for the next big show? Kind of thing. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I think that probably is the way it is. And I think it probably, in fairness to them, he's probably happy enough with that. You know what I mean? Because as I said, if they didn't have New Japan, they'd be in serious trouble. Yeah. You, you can kind of say that, can't you? Accept the reality of that. I mm. kind of say, yeah, if we were in the same position as Andy Quilden, I wonder, I think we probably, in fact, I think we would all make the same decision. But like you said there, it, it, it does come down to, you know, you get your shot window match, you get your big Osprey Zack Sabre match, you get to you know, have your Rev Pro belts on Wrestle Kingdoms. But what are you actually advertising if all your big matches happen in New Japan anyway? You know what I mean? What are you hoping people run out yeah. and watch? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, I, think, I just think there's a line there and you lose, I think when you lose control of your own belts, I don't think we're actually quite at that tipping point yet. But I think that there is a tipping point there of, you know, taking the, the, the plaudits and taking the fact that you have this new Japan relationship that allows you to put on your call shows and balancing it with, you know, undermining your own company and being a company in your own right. And again, I'm not quite saying we're at that tipping point yet, but I do think it's it's something to consider. Like, I, I just think, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to complain in this case of them getting, you know, New Japan seconds, because New Japan seconds is Zack Sabre Jr. and Will Ospreay. And like you, Martin, I'm fuming. I can't get down there. You know, a week's notice on bloody Valentine's Day. Like, <laughs> treating us northerners like, fuck here, Martin. So maybe there's an element of that from, from me too. Um, but yeah, I just do think overall that, you know, I do think 
there are so many benefits to this to this new Japan Road Pro relationship but you can't ignore the fact that it does also kind of undermine the company and you might say well you know that they, they can run shows without a belt and it might not affect those those shows too much individually but i think there's a cumulative effect and an overall effect of making the shows without the champion feel like they don't matter and just making rev pro in general feel like it doesn't matter and yeah for for you and me Ahmad, it's a it's a bit of to take this particular example because again for a, a company that relies on walk up you know andy quilden said on his podcast they're not progress they don't sell tickets based on being a brand they sell tickets based on what they can offer it's going to hurt them from a business point of view as well, because if this match had been announced a month ago, two months ago, if they were able to, if the timings had worked out differently and they weren't so beholden to New Japan booking their belt with two British wrestlers, then, you know, we could be, I don't think we're getting a York Hall sellout next week. Maybe I'm wrong. But yeah, I, I think you could be, you could have expected a lot more Northern and Midlands travel. You know, I, I spoke to people from Ireland who would have uh, considered coming over. Uh, I do think that they're missing something out there. But again, it's it's a worthy discussion because it really just depends on, you know, which part of that. It's a balancing act and how far is too far with, with Rev Pro, as you said, Jamesy, becoming in a lot of ways New Japan, UK, and really how much are you, are you willing to take? Yeah, because it is the pros and cons of it, isn't it? Because, um, you know, your belt's getting all this exposure and your company's getting all this exposure with a, 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 such a big company as New Japan. But then, like you noted there, you know, it's great that you do get these matches, but they're few and far between, aren't they? You know what I mean? This might, you know, for all we know, this might be like a last Red Pro heavyweight title defense on a Your Call show for months. You know, mm-hmm. so it's good that you are getting these matches and you are getting that exposure. But then on the flip side, you know, you sort of someone else is calling the shots with your sort of like belt and company. So it is a, it is a hard line that they they've got there. And, and like I agree with you, Benno, I don't think it has tipped over that point yet. But it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see where they're at in the summer and in the months after that. But um, I mean, there's a there's a lot more matches announced for this. Um, High stakes card as well. Um, I mean, the one and only LA Park's been announced for it. I mean, originally supposed to be facing Shaw Samuel, but sadly Shaw's announced, uh, has announced due to injury and advice from his doctor, he's going to be taking a break from wrestling for a while. Uh, I mean, it'll be really sad news to see Shaw out for a while because obviously he's been a mainstay of the Brit rest scene for the past few years. But um, they've also announced. Jeff Cobb against Dan Maloney. You've got Ricky Knight Jr. v. Robbie X for the Southside speaking title. I mean, that should certainly be a fantastic match. You've got the Legion, Rampage Round, Great O'Khan taking on David Starr and No Fun Done. Zoe Lucas against Dejel Shaw for the Red Pro British Women's title. El Fantasmo against Michael Oku, which looked for certain there was going to headline this car before Sabre Jr. v. Will Ospreay was announced. And that should be a cracker for the uh, British Cruiserweight title. So... I think um, a pretty good card uh, rounded out there by this uh, great main event of Sabre Jr. and Will Ospreay there, Jamesy. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's a pretty solid card top to bottom. It's And in fairness to them, like we, we were very stinging and scathing in our criticisms of Rev Pro there, even on our end of year show. Like We were, we were kind of saying things like, God, will they last the year and that kind of thing. They have 
injected some new talent into the company. You know what I mean? Like like the likes of Dan Maloney becoming a regular, like a women's match on a York Hall show. Like how many times did that happen once last year in the whole year? You know what I mean? And like uh, someone like Giselle Shaw, like who, who's who's really talented as well. Someone bringing her in, like, and I would put the belt on her. You know what I mean? She seems to be really popular with people. Um, an imaginative booking like LA Park, like that, that that's, you know, in fairness to them, that's a completely out of left field one that, that had people buzzing, you know, and I do think he's the kind of act that would have got people to travel already. I think there's a lot of people would have bought tickets just based on seeing LA Park. Like he's not somebody that comes to the UK very often. Um, even bringing, freshening things up kind of lower down the card there with Ricky Knight Jr., Robbie X, those guys. You know what I mean? Like by all accounts, they've been having great matches on the smaller shows. I think I heard they had a, um, some great matches in Southampton lately and that kind of thing. So they have freshened it up a little bit. You know what I mean? And it does feel like everything's a little bit fresher and they have taken some of the criticisms that the people had of them on board. Uh, um, and like our friend Ben Owens was making the suggestion on Twitter today that the match to do is LA Park against Eddie Kingston, which like there's a match and a half. If you're going to have if you're going to have a, an opponent for LA Park, like I would say Eddie Kingston is is a step up on poor Al Shah. In fairness, is Eddie Kingston yeah. around Europe at that time? Is that why that match was getting thrown out there? He's a Round now, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was on the he was on the Schadenfreude stream last night, and he's doing carrot in March. I think he's over in the in Europe for like a month or two. I think because mm-hmm. um, he's doing OTT, he's doing carrot in March. He's he was in Europe last night. Um, so like if he's around, that's that's a great match. Like as I said, that's nearly a step up on the original match. Oh yeah, yeah you and Ben have put that on be a natural now. opponent for him. But Benno, I mean, other than Eddie Kingston, who were some of the other people you you could see LA Park facing from Red Crow's <sighs> roster around the UK mad cat maybe like yeah. <laughs> I think you can nearly go that route yeah and just, just go yeah. pure comedy, like, yeah. whoever he's in with he's going to swallow up Hall like that's what LA yeah. Park does like I saw yeah. him against um, Pentagon Junior on MLW's TV last year and if you think Pentagon Junior is a big personality you just need to see him in there with LA Park and he came across <laughs> like a little boy because LA Park knows how to get himself over and chew up anyone he's in that ring with yeah there isn't really any I, I get going him and Shaw didn't excite me because I I don't know I'm not I'm not as high on Shaw as a, as a lot of us are, but I do think that you know you needed the big boy to go in there with him and have a bit of a LA Park brawl, a bit of a walking brawl, do a bit of a dance, send everybody home happy. That's kind of the match you wanted. But if you want a walking brawl, yeah, I don't think Eddie Kingston's the guy. He's got to be. He's on a cockpit show coming up. He's over here anyway. Uh, I'm going to be seeing him in a couple of weeks in Liverpool, and then yeah, hopefully seeing him and seeing him in Germany too. Yeah, I think that's the guy because I just don't think there is anybody. Uh, or maybe it's. I think the Red Pro roster is looking better for 2020, and you know some of those matches you listed there for the All Call Show have maybe a little bit more excited. But I don't think Red Pro really has like an, an established go-to name where you can say, "Oh yeah, that'd be the guy to go up against LA Park," unless you do go the the meme route with uh, with Curtis Chapman or or something similar. So yeah, I think uh, now that Ben and James have put the idea in my head, I think I'm uh, I'm rooting for it to be Eddie Kingston as well. But, um, I mean, you know, some of the crowds at your call sometimes being criticised, sort of like sitting on the hands earlier on in the shows and things like that. And, I mean, Ricky Knight Jr. against Robbie X just killing each other all over your call. That's a perfect way to start a card, I think. You know, them two just flipping and flying, every, you know, getting everyone on the feet and that. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing mm-hmm. that match as well. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing that that card when it, when it hits VOD. But um, moving away from the UK again and on to Germany now and... With WXW building up to their biggest event of the year, 16 Carat, they 
An official statement was released by their former managing director, Christian Michael Jacobe, who, who hasn't been seen in the company since uh, around October 2018. He took a leave of absence to uh, take a break from wrestling. And um, in the statement, uh, Jacobe said he'd be stepping away completely from WXW for his own personal development, as he put it in the past uh, years of his life were completely dedicated to WXW and he needs a more balanced lifestyle. And I mean, Gamesy, it can't be understated what a huge part of WXW uh, Jacoby was. Oh yeah, big time. Like, yeah. And like, I, I would say a very classy statement from, from a guy who always struck me as, as a, like a really good professional and a good person. Like you only ever hear good things about Jacoby from anybody involved in WXW, you know, and he, um, he, he kind of gave two reasons in the statement for, for his kind of departure. He said, um, advice from his doctors and the need to live a more balanced and healthy life. And then he also said he, he trusts the people who run the company now to kind of run it well. And he feels like he, it's not necessary for him to stay involved you know um the big speculation was always that did it have something to do with the fact that the wwe thing happened with wxw pretty much around the same time like i I think literally the day before wwe thing was announced he kind of announced his departure from the company in the first place people have speculated that maybe he, he left because he wasn't happy with wwe being involved other people speculated that maybe he had got a job in wwe himself now there has been no sign of that happening since that's pure speculation you know what i mean and you have to take them at face value if if it was health reasons that he's citing as that then you have to take them at face value for that you know what i mean but i would say has been sorely missed like i, I do think the company hasn't felt the same since then um now obviously the wwe thing has has had a catastrophic effect on on wwe XW as a whole, you know, like they've they've lost Walter, they've lost Ilya Dragunov, they've now lost Thatcher as well. The roster has been decimated, you know. Um, but I do think like he was responsible for a lot of things like the booking in the company. Like there was a time when their booking was exceptional. Like if if you think back to when we were at Carrot in 2018, Benno, like and and the storylines, mm. even over the course of that weekend, the storylines they weaved, like, like that rise faction with um with John Klinger at the top of it and a guy like Pete Bouncer like a very very limited wrestler getting a road warrior pop for turning on on John Klinger like the booking was exceptional you know what I mean and they were doing things in a really detailed way where they were calling back to things months ago and that kind of thing and like to me even aside from the WWE thing, the booking has slipped a little bit in recent years. You know what I mean? Like we talk about like Lucky Kid. Again, they did really well to build him up at Carrot last year. They completely botched him for the rest of the year where he, he they felt like they'd made a star. And now he feels like a mid-carder again. We talked about Tag Festival. The, the angle that they used to close that out like was very, very messy. You know what I mean? And it just didn't feel like the coherent booking that was there maybe when CMJ was in charge. So for sure, like, as I said, we may never know the real reasons. And like the statement was, it felt like a very carefully worded statement where it didn't give an awful lot away about things. Um, but yeah, somebody who'd be missed for sure. Like, and you can see the affection, like, all the tributes that kind of came out from people backstage at WXW and wrestlers to him, people really, really were, you had a lot of, an awful lot of respect and affection for him. Like, and he's a guy who was with WXW for many, many years, like, and was, was hugely instrumental in building it up to the kind of the, the behemoth that we have now where they're selling a thousand tickets for three nights in a row, like, uh, and people are flying in from all over Europe. Like he was, that may not have happened WXW without his input. Like, so a big, big loss to the company, I think for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'll definitely be missed, and um, obviously we wish him well um, 
you know, in the future. And, uh, I mean, we've made a few changes to this show, um, but one thing we definitely wouldn't be changing is the bi-monthly appearance by uh, Andy Ogden from the Graps and Claps podcast. He's uh, back this week for his first appearance this year, uh, taking us into the weird and wonderful world of the undergrap scene in British wrestling. Hello and welcome everyone to Going Undergraps, with a rundown of what has been going on in the undergrap scene of British wrestling. Bringing you news from PCW, Pinfall Pro, Shard and Fraudier and Friends, Catch Pro Wrestling and finally GPW and Inley. So without further ado, let's get into it. PCW returned to Blackpool on the 12th of January for their first show of the year at the resplendent Viva Cabaret Club. Which uh, inside it looked like a, a posh Phoenix club from the Phoenix Nights uh, TV show. But instead of Brian Potter, Den Perry and Jerry St. Clair... We had Big T, Joey Hayes and Rossi Rascal. Uh, in the major news from this show, we had a couple of storylines set up for future shows with the recently turned AC striker looking to apologise for his actions at PCW's December show last year. And he promised that he would not do the same again to his soon-to-be rival, Philip Michael. But after a win against Cerberus, striker went to shake Philip Michael's hand but only to attack him uh, from behind. Uh, this is now setting up for the eight-man Cruiserweight title tournament on the 8th of February in Lancaster to crown a new champion after the uh, former champion Dave Birch had to relinquish it due to injury. Talking of Philip Michael, he had one of the best matches on the show against Tidal Wrestling standout Brady Phillips in a competitive matchup. Michael over the last month has also put on a great showing in a winning effort against David Starr of all people as part of the Koala Slam show that took place in Batley earlier this month. Uh, Michael, uh, after showing promise over the last couple of years, he's maybe someone you should um, all keep an eye out for going forward. Other news from the show included local favourite Rossi Rascal earning a shot for the Road to Glory tournament in March against Big T Justice by defeating the former leader of the buyouts, Sheikh El Sham, after a bit of miscommunication from the seven-footer and the Prince of Panache. PCW's next show is on the 8th of February in Lancaster, featuring the PCW Cruiserweight title tournament, and then on the 13th and 14th of March in Blackpool and Preston, respectively, where it's the annual Roll to Glory tournament featuring the stars of Smash of the um, Smash Wrestling promotion from Canada, plus a number of international stars, including Daniel Maccabe and Black Taurus. Next up, Pinfall Pro, Pinfall Pro Wrestling in Salford held their first show of the year on the 19th of January. Now, Pinfall Pro is home to a number of up-and-coming names from the northwest of England, including Callum Corey, the Young Guns, Big Guns, Joe, Tom Felwell, R.P. Davis and Tonga. A lot of those were in action on this afternoon in question with the tag team match between the Young Guns and the Merseyside Mercenary Squad of Scott Oberman and Dan Evans, uh, providing the main highlights of the afternoon with a tag team match befitting of a higher platform. As we've mentioned on this segment many times, the Young Guns are the great hope, but fingers crossed the um, grubby mitts of the Fed don't come calling too soon for them. We had the crowning of a new Pinfall Pro Women's Champion as the main event, with Northwest veteran Lana Austin taking on Tonga, whom they um, also had a great match together in the Future Shot Wrestling promotion last November. Tonga, whose character is quite diva-like, got the victory after a distraction from the outside to help her become the new Pinfall Pro Women's Champion. Tonga is another one you should keep an eye out for in the future. She looks like someone who carries herself well as a potential star. You heard it here first. 
Shannon Freuder and friends return for, a t- for two sellout straight nights at the Frog and Bucket in Manchester. These two shows have ever brought a, ma- a mix of madcap comedy with a smattering of great wrestling in between. As some people have called the promotion the, uh, the British DDT. On night one in the main event we had the debut of DDT's Konosuke Takashita taking on the Aussie Arrow Cow Fletcher in what some people are calling the best match that has ever happened in the Frog and Bucket. Takashita during the match connected with the crowd with a huge superplex to Fletcher from the balcony, plus other random outbursts like, um, fuck you, bitch, uh, after being taunted by Fletcher. This being my first look at Takashita, he very much has the look like of um, Korobushi, so if that's anything to go by, the sky's the limit. Over the two nights, we had the passing of the torch moments as the original Kid Lycos passed on his mask to Joe Nelson, who's been now who's now reborn as Kid Lycos Jr. Lycos Jr. on both evenings had tough opposition. First of all, on night one against Chris Brooks, and on night two against British wrestling legend Dean Allmark in two cracking matches. One notable thing was a much slower pace that Nelson was working under the mask, and for me, this was a refreshing thing to see. In another highlight from the two evenings, we had four-way action on night two, featuring the young guns Ethan Allen and Luke Jacobs versus big guns Joe versus Callum Newman. This was a great showcase um, to four wrestlers who are going to be making waves over the next few years. Join the guns we've been mentioned a number of times, but Newman, who is a graduate from Will Ospreay's Frontline Wrestling School, someone with the size, scope and speed, that is going to be someone who will be on everyone's lips uh, in the future, maybe to the standard of which his trainer is currently. Shadow Fraud and Friends will be returning for just the one night on the 18th of February for Chris Brooks's last show in the UK before he takes off to Japan for a lengthy period. This show has already sold out in record time, but keep your eyes out for any spare tickets on the old Twitter box. Catch Pro Wrestling held their debut show at the Union in Manchester on the 26th of January, with the main premise of the show being the crowning of the first ever Catch Pro Wrestling champion. After four qualifying matches, we were left with Joe Nelson, Spike Trevay, Robert Sharp and Rob Lynch to fight it out in a four-way 30-minute Ironman match. After quite a bit of fighting in and out of the venue, it will be Joe Nelson who would win the title with a total of two falls to become the new Catch Pro Wrestling Champion. After the match, though, he was presented with the trophy by British wrestling legend Doug Williams. Uh, but it won't end there while this was going on, as uh, both Jodie Flash and Rob Lynch attacked Nelson from behind to what looks like it'll set up, looks likely to set up a faction with Flash, Lynch and Williams. Uh, that was until some choice comments from Lynch um, that have landed himself in hot water with management. So we shall see at the next show how this now plays out. From a wrestling standpoint, though, the two best matches of the afternoon were the Young Guns, that name once again, taking on Johnny Storm and Jody Flash in the back- battle of tag team generations to get the crowd off to a hot start, with the Young Guns getting the victory to retain their future shot tag team championships. The next match between Chris Brooks and local up-and-comer Tom Felwell was a case of the much more experienced wrestler in Brooks putting the uh, young guy over on his way out of the country. Felwell, very much like the young guns, is someone who is impressing with his performances on the scene and that has shown with progress, giving him a pre-show spot in December. Plus other high-ranking promotions like TNT, Breed and Future Shot giving the spotlight to him. Overall, for a first show, Catch Pro Wrestling produced a good afternoon's worth of wrestling, 
with a couple of teething problems, but with these iron out, they can hopefully stamp their mark on the Manchester wrestling scene, which does have a spot for a new promotion to take it. Catch Pro Wrestling's next show is on the 21st of March, which is a Saturday. Last but not least, GPW ran their first show of the year in Hindley on the 31st of January. In front of a sold-out crowd, this show would be headlined by an eight-man tag team match involving many contenders for the British title, with Tom Farewell, Sandy Beach, who's the champion, Jack Griffiths and Jimmy Jackson taking on Reese and Rogan, Sonny Durson and NXT UK superstar Ashton Smith. In a really good back-and-forth contest, it would be Tom Farewell picking up the victory on Ashton, much to the joy of the crowd in attendance with a brain-buster for the free count. After the match, it looks like we could be getting a confrontation in the future between the current champion Sandy Beach and Tom Farewell, which will be a cracker. Also in action was fresh from his excursion. So old Japan, Lucas Steele took on local boxer turned wrestler R.P. Davis. And despite Steele dominating with his size and strength, R.P. Davis didn't look out of place as someone who is just under 10 matches in on his career. Steele, however, would get the victory with a huge powerbomb for the free count. GPW's next show is on the Friday the 6th of March, so if you're not going to Carrot, get yourself to Inley. So that is all we have time for for going undergrads this month. Next month I will be bringing you news from PCW in Lancaster, TNT in Liverpool, Tidal in Leeds, Future Shock in Presswich, and Chris Brooks' final UK show before he pops off to Japan. As ever... You can follow me at Ogipart3, that's O-G-G-Y-P-A-R-T-3 on Twitter. And also go and listen to my podcast, Graps and Claps Audio, at grapsandclapsaudio.podpin.com and at all other good outlets where you get your podcasts. So until then, goodbye. Thanks again to Andy there, and he'll, he'll be back in a couple of shows' time. And... Um... Moving on to a promotion which doesn't get much play on here, but a promotion uh, you frequent quite often in your hometown of Liverpool, Benno, and that's TNT, who held their uh, DOA deathmatch tournament at the Hangar on the 30th of January. And uh, Benno, a bit about the promotion and your night of deathmatch wrestling. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of a promotion that, uh, I mean, I won't go into too much detail on it, because one, it was a deathmatch show, and it's really... It's stunts, isn't it? Uh, and two, I had quite a few beers that night and a few uh, cool pictures as uh, <laughs> people hear me talk about it. Oh, it's that type of event. That's the thing. You, you go in to stand in a pack venue, not really be able to see, and pop for you know people going through light tubes or, or going through panes of glass. Um, they don't know what they do these tournaments once a year. They call it the DOA tournament. Uh, this year kind of was headlined by the fact they had Jimmy Lloyd over, um, they had Ricky Shane Page over, Clint Marge was kind of the, the focus of the tournament this year and kind of, you know, putting one of their, their own guys over. They kind of, a lot of the TNT shows I've been to, and they are just like, yeah, a Liverpool promotion. They've been, there's always been maybe one hardcore match thrown in, whether it be Jimmy Havoc or, you know, it be the, the odd other British guy or, you know, even a Spike Trevay on this show flying in for the, the odd death match thing. It's, I, I, I know, it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but, like, you know, a couple of your mates, like the likes of uh, Barry Lad James, he pop, popped over to Liverpool for this show or over here. Oh, yeah. uh, we have a couple of the Irish, actually, to be honest. It was quite yeah. interesting seeing them uh, coming over for the night out. And, yeah, it is. It's a promotion. It's a night out promotion, similar to Fight Club Pro. That's exactly what TNT is. Uh, it kind of started. I went to their very first show where it was a bit more like this, where they, they had like a... I just remember going and it was the only wrestler I recognised on the show was Roughneck. And elsewhere on the show, they had all these rando 
bring-ins from like the Midlands or somewhere like that. Just no-name wrestlers doing death matches, including one guy who d- took the uh, the Bubba Ray Dudley powerbomb bump through a flaming table. The thing was, he'd wrestled the entire match without a shirt on, and he put the shirt on just to take the bump. That was the kind of level of wrestling we were talking about in those uh, early TNT shows, and they kind of got ta- taken out. The I think the Knights uh, kind of took over a little bit and helped run their second show, uh, which has seemed to happen with a lot of promotions in Britain. And then they kind of became what they are now, which is like this this weird kind of I wouldn't say punk rock, more like death metal or rock kind of promotion. Like it feels like mid nineties, you know, ECW copycat kind of stuff. But yeah, I had a fun time at the show. It was just uh, again getting to see death matches up, up close and personal. Might not be for everybody. Having to dive out the way of uh, panes of glass and another uh, foreign objects kind of flying at you, carpet strips, which um, Spike Trevay, I believe, was uh, was using in his match, uh, flying towards you. Is maybe not for everybody, but yeah, it was a fun night. And I think the the biggest thing coming out of it is the fact that they're they're looking at. Uh, allegedly next year uh, in 2021, so a way away they're going to be doing CZW's tournament to death over here um, apparently in the Liverpool area uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll see if that really happens uh, I mean, you know, it happens over here rather than a, a farm in Delaware uh, but yeah, that's kind of, I suppose no one else is really doing that so leaning into that and you know getting a Clint Margera over um, as, you know, as your guy uh, and getting over, you know, Session Moth Martino was uh, in the opener doing deathmatch stuff in there with uh, with Jimmy Lloyd uh, and being, you know, as well as doing the comedy stuff that she does, being willing to take the uh, the big bumps in a, in a big deathmatch. Uh, there are, you know, people, you know, in the UK, in these who are willing to do this style and it, it kind of fits, yeah, what TNT is, like a big, a night out promotion. It's more about the after party in the crazy house than it is the actual show itself. Um, and yeah, they're probably as as good a home as anybody for uh, for doing this kind of deathmatch style in the UK. Yeah, they certainly seem to have found the niche doing that sort of stuff, don't they? I mean, what are the crowds like for it? Is it usually a packed house for sh- the shows they have? This is the busiest I've ever seen it. It's a, quite a small venue, uh, Hangar Thirty Four in Liverpool, and it's it, I would probably say like two to three hundred maybe i'm off on that but that that's kind of what it feels like but they pack every bit of those people uh into that venue i think this time i think because it was a deathmatch show or i don't know whether it's the 2020 prices but it was 25 pound a ticket so you know hopefully uh some of the lads hospital bills got paid with paid for with that money uh but it does make for a great atmosphere you know there's a packed balcony there's a packed floor and it's basically people you know drinking and wanting wanting to enjoy it maybe you know a, a nicer wrestling that you know brain cells aren't going to let you uh, remember the next day uh but it is a fun trip and yeah i can see why you know like i said some of james's mates and some of the irish have made the trip and people from all over you know the uk have uh have been making the trip as well and kind of uh coming up here to to you know the likes of, uh, of mike hogan from uh from up next I actually saw him at the uh, the crazy house uh at the after party got a lovely photo with him uh people like him being willing to, to come up to liverpool for a for a show like this it is uh filling a bit of a niche that maybe nobody else is doing yeah and definitely if they do manage to get tournament of death over in the uk i imagine you know that'll pull in a, a big crowd for him as well because it's i suppose it's something um a bit different is it actually having you know the tournament of death you know it's qu- quite famous isn't it so yeah mm-hmm. but i think like you noted you know it, it'll be a case of uh you'll believe it when it's happening so <laughs> Yeah, with CCW, I think that's always the best advice. Yeah, um, but I mean, before we head out of here, we've got some other, you know, 
quick news items from the past month. I mean, with wrestling moving so quickly, this one might seem like old news now, but, um, you know, we've got to mention it, you know. Um, announcer Marty Skill had signed a new deal with Ring of Honor, not only as a wrestler, but also as the head booker of the company for his Dave Meltzer put in WWE roster money. And um, a lot of people obviously expected Marty to go to AEW and join his mates. Um, but since the announcement, we've seen a lot of New Japan talent announced for the ROH show over Mania weekend. Marty facing off against Jay White and also other cars announced, which I imagine boss got... You two were uh, former ROH bots quite excited uh, with Marty as Booker because obviously all this nostalgia is great and he's, he's certainly, <laughs> uh, you know, doing a lot of that with the cards that they've announced and uh, certainly created a bit of buzz around ROH for the first time in ages. But um, I suppose thoughts on Marty as Booker and um, the long term into the summer and later later into the year, Jamesy? Yeah, and like in fairness to Marty, in the short few weeks that he's been in the job, you can see change. You you can feel a bit of a freshness to the whole thing. I think that the biggest thing of all that he that he seems to have done already is repairing that New Japan relationship that ROH had because it felt like kind of by the midpoint of last year that that, that relationship had completely broken down. I think that MSG show almost was kind of the, the, the last straw in terms of the friendship between the company and that kind of thing. And like ROH really let the side down with, with their side of that show, I thought. Um, but like, and, and apparently him and Zach have kind of been instrumental in brokering that that, that new friendship between the companies again. Like if, if you think about the fact that RevPro didn't run a show at Mania weekend this year. And that tells me that most likely New Japan weren't planning earlier in the year to send talent over to to Tampa for that weekend. And now all of a sudden we see New Japan talent being being announced. It seems like a new thing that's happened since Marty came in. And that's like, we talk about RevPro needing New Japan. I think ROH badly need New Japan as well. Like if they're ever going to run bigger shows and bigger buildings in the States, they kind of need their attendance to be bumped up with the New Japan talent, you know. Um, you know, it's simple little things like bringing back the pure title, you know, just giving a nod to ROH's past and that kind of thing. That nostalgia show was really interesting. You know, as you said, throwing a bone to the likes of me and Benno, who would have been oh, big yeah. fans like in the, in the mid 2000s, seeing the likes of, of a, a, a Xavier and a John Walters, Doug Williams <laughs> been booked against Gresham. Simple little things like, you know what I mean? But but, but like just kind of reconnecting and reminding people maybe of, of, of times when ROH was really good. You know what I mean? I'm really clever. He's doing a free show I think this weekend you know what I mean where, where it's free for people to show up and the card for that looks pretty strong as well you know and like the thing about ROH is there is a good roster there if they were booked properly you know what I mean they've got a lot they've got a very kind of heavy luchador influence now like they've got Dragon Lee they've got Bandido they've got Flamita you know there's the basis there of a roster that could be putting on better matches than they have been like um, the likes of Gresham like if you push Gre- you put that pure title on Gresham and make him the semi-main event of all your shows like you're kind of back in business and you're, you're giving kind of hardcore fans something that they want to see. Um, downgrading the likes of Bully Ray. It seems like he has his kind of power. Like he is one of the major reasons why people have turned off ROH. He seems to have an awful lot of power in that company and like for very little benefit that I could see. So it's all very positive. Like, And I've always thought of Marty as a guy with a really great mind for wrestling. You know, like you look at the way he evolved as the years went on and developed his character. He became a guy who who got very good at making money in wrestling. And I think 
people who are good at making money in wrestling are the people you want running your company because if they can make good money for themselves they can probably make good money for everyone else as well you know the NWA link up like that really good segment between Marty and Nick Aldis there that was on NWA Power during the week just all these little things that are positive press like for a long time it's, it's it, it has seemed like every time you see something about ROH on the timeline it's negative or you see people saying did you know there was an ROH show coming up this weekend like I know for a fact there's an ROH show this weekend because they have a little bit of buzz around them again you know so um and at the end of the day, he can't be any worse than Delirious because that guy was just a complete shambles. He just had completely stagnated in the role. And yeah, I think nothing but positive to come from it. And like a huge thing for Marty to kind of be in charge of a company like this. And like if he gets two or three good years of booking ROH behind him, that's another thing he can add to his CV. Like he becomes a seriously sought after commodity then for the likes of AEW in a few years time, you know. Do you reckon he was on the ROH message board, Jamesy? That's the main thing I want to know. Like, it <laughs> well, feels like he's got to be. Yeah. Well, he'd be the right age, like, wouldn't he? <laughs> he's our generation, James. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what I mean. Is. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I, 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 I won't repeat what you said, but yeah, I think that's that's it, isn't it? It's just that he, he is he has taken what you know a promotion that not you know there's too much wrestling else as it is. Who had the time yeah. for Ring of Honor? So the point where we're like, oh, Xavier's coming back. Oh, Joe Baltus is coming back. Oh, the pure title, which I didn't even like in the first place, is coming back. It's funny <laughs> yeah. what nostalgia does for you, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But he's really he has tapped into something, and yeah, and I think he's a he seems to be a good creative mind, and yeah, if this if you know obviously it's a short term fix right now, um, but right now he's bringing a bit of goodwill to Ring of Honor. Uh, I think that's a that's all you can really say. You know, that's a that's a real good thing for him. A bizarre decision, you know, as we talked about on our, I think, on the uh, the NXT TakeOver review. We went, none of us are expecting him to sign Ring of Honor, but thus far it's been great. That's been great. As you mentioned, the Aldous view has been great. That segment on NWA this week was one of the best segments I think we'll see in wrestling in this year. It's all working out really well for Marty Scale right now. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how his, uh, his 2020 goes. I mean, Jamesy, you mentioned about Marty as a commodity. Imagine if he turns Ring of Honor around. I mean, surely these mania shows are going to be pivotal for them bringing back uh, fans and, you know, drawing some goodwill back from fans. And you imagine if he's got Ring of Honor turned around by the end of the year, sort of like middle of next year, where they're like doing decent business again and the more of a buzzworthy promotion. He, he, it's like, you know, with there, the, him as a commodity, he'll be surely, mm-hmm. you know, he'll be highly sought after because... At the, I mean, I'm, I'm sure uh, on their worst of show, I mean, ROH was the worst promotion of the year for, like, John Wayne, Braden, and Davies. So imagine if he turns them around from that. I mean, surely it'll be really interesting to see what he does do with Ring of Honor in, in the coming months and year. And um, it's sort of similar news. Uh, Fight Club Pro have announced a number of teams for their uh, Dream Tag Invitation in April. Jigsaw and Mike Quackenbush, Mustache Mountain, The North, and then the small matter of Loki and Amazing Red. I mean... Fight Club Pro never disappoint with these announcements for the uh, Dream Tag Tournament each year, Benno. Yeah, that's it. Speaking of ROH nostalgia, Loki and Amazing Red, what a team. Uh, we need that singles match, don't we, Jamesy? They need to get knocked out that tournament soon as... Yeah. And then at that, that Manchester show I'm going to, that's what I need. What do you reckon, James, if we start... Uh, I think we could probably start an ROH podcast again in 2020. I think there's, a, <laughs> I think there's money in that at this point with all this nostalgia flying around. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, oh, yeah, from fuck, oh, dragon, you'll be shouting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, better be careful. Uh, but yeah, like the 
overall, I think Fight Club Pro uh, tap into something there and bring it in, you know, interesting names. Quackenbush is someone I don't think people were expecting to to see over here again, teaming with, with Jigsaw. Yeah, it looks like a, another exciting tag, uh, tag tournament, and it was the same last year. Like, I, last year, the only Fight Club Pro show I went to was literally to go to the tournament, to go to the, to go to the Manchester show. But I think, yeah, DTTI is, is looking again. Like, uh, you know, the, the, maybe there's a bit of nostalgia in there. Maybe it could do with maybe maybe one or two, you know, maybe more contemporary teams added. But all in all, it, it looks like another fun weekend. And yeah, I think although they are running Easter weekend and they might have some probably there's, there's no trains running in and out of Wolverhampton, which I think is hampering a lot of uh, travel and support, for the, especially for that Wolverhampton show. Uh, I do think it's going to be another good business weekend for them. And yeah, it's, uh, I'm excited for it. Uh, you're heading up for it, aren't you, Martin? One of the, uh, one of yeah, the shows? Yeah, I'm definitely going to that Manchester show. And it'd be, it's like you noted there, it'd be even better if we got the uh, low-key and amazing red uh, you know, singles match. I mean, you know, it's a few... They're a few years past their best, but still seeing that live would be absolutely fantastic. Just do that spot again. That, that gif, the original <laughs> gif. We need that. <laughs> Definitely. And um, just last story before we get out of here. Um, I mean, having only launched in 2017, ITV have announced that they're closing their box office <laughs> channel. I mean, another flop in a seemingly string of flops for ITV. I mean... Obviously, this is first sell for boxing matches involving, like, James DeGaulle and Chris Eubank Jr. And uh, also the home for uh, AEW pay-per-views. And, you know, with AEW Dynamite being shown on ITV and they hardly were showing an interest at the best of times, you've got to imagine, James, that Dynamite will go even further down the list of ITV priorities. Yeah, and a shout-out to friend of the podcast, Will Cooling. Uh, this is very much wonderful that Will Cooling was right folder. Like, he was... he When we were all kind of... I think he was even on the show with us one time. We were all kind of super positive about the fact that AEW was on ITV, and we thought, you know, God, it, you know, it, it'll be a big deal for them to be on this station, and it'll be treated like an important thing. And he was the one saying, like, that he, he's been watching combat sports in this country on ITV for a long, long time, and they really don't put any major importance on those things like you know what I mean and, and ITV box office closing really kind of just re-emphasizes that you know what I mean there is now no longer a way to watch you can watch the TV show on ITV but you can't watch the pay-per-views on ITV anymore you know what I mean and that's that, that's you know like Cody Rhodes boasted a lot about the great TV deal that AEW had in the UK and it was going to blow the blow the blow the WWE one out of the water is it really better at this point when, when you know, the only way you can buy the pay-per-views is to go on to Fight TV? I'm not sure about that anymore. You know, there was an awful lot of bluster about that at the time. But the reality is, like, as Will said way, way back, ITV are just not that pushed about combat sports. And I think you can file wrestling under that heading as well, you know. Yeah. Shame really. Cody Rhodes I, looks I, silly. I grew up with all those Nigel Ben and Eubank and all that, and that was yeah. all on ITV. So it was a real shame, really. But... I think even like looking at where they were going with the boxing before AEW even came on board, it was like, you know, it was slim pickings in terms of what boxers they could use on ITV box office. And I don't think they were ever going to bring in like, um, you know, a, a huge amount of revenue for the fights that were shown in the first place. Yeah, it's, it's just it, it's always been, you know, based on, you know, I'm not a big boxing guy, but just following like Will's writing and Will's talking on it. It is one for... Cody Rhodes looks foolish. Will Will Cooling was right. That is the <laughs> that is what to classify this under, isn't it? At this point, it's just yeah, you can't. 
I think we should have been. Maybe we should have sort of. Maybe uh, ITV World of Sports should have been our warning that ITV yeah. and wrestling is gonna make and all this nonsense about. Well, it's a different department. They're gonna they're gonna treat it differently. It kind of. Yeah, it feels like we're getting this, a similar story, don't we? Doesn't it? Uh, and yeah, it's a, uh, again for 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 a deal that was touted so highly and thought of as this this great thing. Like I don't watch, you know, on ITV. I literally pay fight to watch AEW's weekly TV at this point because I know it's reliable. I know I can watch it live and I know I won't be sitting there on a Sunday, you know, with the rest of, uh, of Brit Res Twitter tweeting ITV's uh, Twitter account going, oh, you're going to put the show up, you bastards. Because <laughs> there's just, they, they, it seems like they just throw it up at random and like the work experience dudes in charge of it. And that's gotten worse and worse as the weeks have gone on uh, for uh, believe some of the people I follow. So yeah, it kind of, it does feel like the next thing might be a, a pulling back even on that element of the relationship and yeah the i don't know tv is like this golden carrot and this big thing that everyone wants to get in this country yeah it's as we've seen plenty of examples over this last decade it's not always what it's cracked up to be even if you know you're a you're a tony khan and you're an american company like an aw uh it is just such a weird landscape as far as uh tv goes in the uk and uh, just before we head out of here, generally any plugs before we uh we before we sign off? Uh, just my Twitter at the moment at Jamesy underscore twenty fifteen. Um, working on a, a special kind of mid month episode for February, but we we'll keep that under wraps until we have it in the can. So yeah, keep an eye out for that in two weeks' time. And that's not our Ring of Honor podcast, is it, James? No, but my plugs, I'm just going to say to everybody: twenty eighth of May, twenty twenty. That is the day that I will be going on the Post Cafe Hangout with John and Way to talk about Fast and Furious 9 <laughs> and talk about the fact that Han lives and talk about the fact that we're getting justice for Han. Hashtag justice for WH, who is, uh, <laughs> I believe, is the uh, is either Han in the uh, in the uh, in the post wrestling universe. We, uh, I think, uh, WH put uh, put some of that together. Uh, I, t- I turned out to uh, unfortunately be sure the man who killed Han. Uh, I, don't, I can't remember you were, Martin. Who did he say you were? Uh, Mister uh, Nobody, Kurt Russell. I'll absolutely <laughs> take that every day of the week. Kurt Russell. I mean, one of my all-time screen icons. I, I can't believe we didn't even open the show with that. Complete. I'm so glad you fetched that up. Uh, yeah, if you follow WH on Twitter, he made all the uh, everyone who contributes to post wrestling as part of uh, the Fast and Furious universe. <laughs> James, he was quite. I mean, I had to search you. Obviously, I've seen most of the films. I had to search who each person was, but. James, he was yeah. well and truly confused, wasn't he? I was completely baffled, yeah. But um, I was an attractive woman, so I suppose it's, I've been called worse things than that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you're a computer hacker as well, James. You say you've got you brains go. behind uh, that. Uh, a genius, I believe, is the word, so I'll take that. <laughs> That's pretty, That's pretty good. Go. So, yeah, keep yeah, an eye out so. for that. <laughs> Kate, Rus- Kate Russell's pretty, too. There is that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hyped for that one. Hyped for the film in general. But yeah, I'm hyped to do that podcast with uh, with John and Way. So yeah, everyone should keep an eye out for that. And obviously, follow me on Twitter, Benson Richardy, and uh, follow my my other podcast, uh, Grapple Spotlight, uh, which we just released an episode of yesterday, going over in a bit more detail those uh, New Japan shows from the weekend and the uh, the world of wrestling in general. And uh, obviously, all roads lead to postwrestling dot com. Uh, leave your feedback on from dot postwrestling.com and uh, we'll be back on the 21st of February so we'll catch you then